Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Uncommon People podcast. This is the show about exploring what makes ordinary people so extraordinary. This is us walking together through your story, my story, and the story of everyone in between, and exploring what it is that makes us significant in the world and talking through our stories and realizing the importance of them. So I hope you enjoy it. This conversation was me and my good friend Ty. It may feel kind of meandering a lot of the time because Ty and I are good friends and haven't caught up in a while, but I think there's a lot of little gold nuggets to be found in this episode. So I hope you enjoy. I hope you stick around for the full thing. If you think this is the kind of conversation you'd like to have and and you're ready and willing to dig in and answer and ask these kinds of questions, I would love to talk to you more about it. So if you go to joeltimothy.co, you can find all my contact info up there. Please do reach out. In the meanwhile, I hope you enjoy episode number three of the Uncommon People podcast. If you're doing it because you know that they're doing things right. and you're like, I want to get a piece of this pie, yes. then, you know, you should probably back up a little bit and think about your motives. Yeah, yeah. You should probably go home and rethink your life. <laughs> <laughs> I love when I can make a reference, just insert it into conversation, and it's just a, just a few words and people understand it. Cool, cool people yeah. understand it. Yeah, certain people. You and I are kind of... I don't know what the word is. Kindred. We're kindred, yes. Yeah. I was noticing your Lord of the Rings over there on your shelf. Right? Oh, yeah. Um, I try to read it once a year. Mm-hmm. So I did just finish it a couple of days ago um, nice. for the second time in this tradition. I had read it maybe three times prior, yeah. and then last year I decided to start reading it yearly. That's and cool. I just finished it. And Nathan, who I'm interviewing on Wednesday, is going to loan me Dune. Ooh, so I Dune is that. really, really cool. I'm assuming I assumed you would be somebody who had read Dune. Yes. Are you you a big fan or? It's it is. I'm a fan for sure. Curious what the movie's going to be like, but I think it's it is a top five sci-fi book from whenever. Uh huh. Um, I would say probably in the last fifty years, even it still holds up. Is it that old? No, but with all the oh, new ones with that everything have come out, that's yeah, okay. I would say that it still holds up pretty well because it and and it's it's there are a lot of books that pay homage to it in just the way that they're written and and the stuff that's in it with the spice and, and I mean it's you know you have you have like D and D and almost every fantasy book came from Lord of the Rings and. Then you have Dune, and lots of sci-fi stuff came yeah. from Dune. Um, Edwin Rice Burroughs was before Dune, but is pretty different, but really cool. But you can see, um, and Isaac Asimov and the Foundations, mm-hmm. and, and I love, I read that, and, and I was like, man, this is, it's funny, because whenever I read it, I was like, this is like every other sci-fi book that I've ever read. You know, this dude wakes up and he's like in a super cool world and like, wait a second. Every other book is like this book because Isaac Asimov is like the father of sci-fi. Uh, but Dune is super cool. Yeah. It's very, it is, 
I don't know if it's a fun read. It's not. Um, you imagine in Lord of the Rings, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of downtime where they're talking about things that are explained even better in the Silmarillion. Mm-hmm. Dune has that stuff in it with the houses and the political aspect of it. Wheel of Time. More like Wheel of Time, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, very much like Wheel yeah, of Time, okay. except the sci-fi version. Okay. But it's awesome. I'm looking forward to reading it. Yeah. Especially having not read it. I'm really enjoying the adventure of exploring a new book, a yeah. new world, really. And I haven't done that in a little while. There's nothing like it. No. In fact, I just went back and reread Duma Key by Stephen King. Okay. Which is probably my favorite book by him. What's it called? Duma Key. Duma Key. Mm-hmm. Huh. It's a little bit of a departure from his standard horror fare, but the writing and the story, and I mean, it's just, it is top notch. And I read it the first time, and I was like, oh, man, this is such a cool book. And I'd just gotten back from the beach, and it was kind of, it's set on a beach. Oh, okay. And I loved it. And then the more and more that I thought about it, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to read that again. So I picked it up a couple weeks ago, and I reread it. And then I loaned it to a friend. And he and I was like, this is this is my favorite Stephen King book. You should read it. <laughs> Your favorite Stephen King book. Okay. Yeah. I know, And I know you are a prolific reader of yeah. Mr. King. Yeah. I'm a Duma Key it's it's very good it's very it's it's one of the reads that as i'm going through it i'm thinking of all of the ties not only to like his other kind of um parallel universe works you know how dark tower ties into everything else how how it ties into that scene but also what resonates with me it's a story of a dad and he has daughters and Mm -hmm. he gets injured and like and and he gets divorced from his wife and there's all of these things that lead up to where he is but the way that he writes friendship and care and attention and love and and disloyalty and betrayal and all of those things and duma key i think it all is highlighted simply because there's so much focus on the character and not so much a focus on the um on the monster maybe you know like an it it's a wonderful book, probably my second favorite, but so much of it focuses on the fear aspect of, of this creature chasing the kids. Mm-hmm. And in this one, it's all about the dad and it helps that it's from first person too. Okay. And so there's, you have kind of insight into his thought process and his decision-making and all that kind of stuff. I could talk about, I could talk about that forever. Yeah. yeah. So one of the first things that <laughs> you and I bonded over was the Wheel of Time, uh-huh. which I thought was great for- I remember. You want to tell the story for our? We have a lot of listeners. Yeah, is what I'm telling myself. Oh, we do. Um, no we doubt. have a lot of listeners. You want, so how did you and I meet? So because I told, I still tell this story. We to people I, very briefly. It is one of my favorite stories <laughs> about about where we are right now in life. Um, so we had uh, we were at our community group Thursday night, and this random this dude shows up, um, this young kid. And we just kind of get to talking and, and he looks very much like me, bald and skinny and, and of medium height and build. And I was immediately, we uh, start talking and just chatting about what we like to do. And we were, I think, I think that night we touched on the, the Hobbit as well. And, but then we got into like fantasy and we started talking about, about Wheel of Time. But I had asked where you were, where, like, what, what, what are you doing in Northwest Arkansas? And, and you had said, well, I was driving around the country and I came from California and then, and then um, 
just driving to all these different states and decided to stop here. And I was, oh, okay, that's cool. Where do you, where are you staying? And you said, well, I've got a Jeep that I'm, I'm just going to sleep in. <laughs> in my head, I remember like, like whenever you're, whenever you're walking quickly and you feel like you're about to trip, you do like a stutter step. That's what my brain did. I was like, whoa, wait, what? In your Jeep. And so I, I was like, no, 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 no. You, you, you can come stay with us for a couple of days. That, that's, there's no reason for you to sleep in your Jeep. And so I talked with um, my wife, Kanya, and we talked a little bit about uh, like, well, okay, well, where is he going to stay? Because we have three children and um, and we live in an 1,100 square foot, three bedroom house uh-huh. um, and all of the rooms are filled. And we were like, well, it's we have a couch and, and that's going to be fine. And so you stayed with us, I think it was for a week or two weeks. And um, I still crack up at the picture of Ellis hugging your leg, thinking it's me while you're making <laughs> macaroni from scratch. And then, and then she looks up and she's like, oh, you're not dead. And it, it was, it's one of those things that I remember fondly because we didn't have, and still don't have a lot of means, um, in, in the form of finances to, to do a lot with and, you know, donate thousands of dollars to charity or anything like that. But, but we can provide a couch for a kid who is driving around the country and happens to stop in our town. And, and that's something that Kanye and I have always tried to do. And, um, and, and that was that was a that was a night that I think changed uh, our perspective on our role in the church. Really, not entirely. Uh, we were already kind of leaning that way, but it was like you know we can do more than than we than we think. So many times I think we're confined by how we define our circumstances. With well, we're limited in this way and we're limited in this way. But if you kind of look at well, we can we can provide a couch for this guy or. Um, we have an extra bed, so there are lots of foster kids in, that just need a place to sleep instead of sleeping on the floor of a of an office. Um, instead of defining yourself by your limitations, you can define yourself by your capabilities, and I think that's what Kanye and I. That's when we really started looking more directly at at what we what we're doing, how we're serving. Wow, that's great! I never get to hear the other side of it. Like I when I first moved here and specifically after I wrecked the Jeep, I started having to learn how to accept help from people. Um, And so that was, I saw it as an opportunity for me to grow and be stretched and to hear from your side, what that was and the opportunity that you got from it is awesome to me that it's kind of reciprocal. Even if one person feels like they're the needy one which i've felt for most of my life feeling like i'm the one who's asking a lot yeah um you don't know what it's doing for the other person yeah and um man that did a lot for me yeah well i'm glad because i didn't have anywhere i remember around. mentioning that to you that i'd be sleeping in the jeep and you turn into kanye and say kanye can we have a sleepover <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> I tend to break the news to my darling wife in ways that she can't really say no to. Yeah. Because I'm just so darn cute. Yes, of course. That's what I was thinking. I was like, yes, I get to come stay with this guy. <laughs> yeah, we have a wood stove and it's not... It's oh, not yeah, you did have a wood stove in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we did. It was warm. It was, man. And I remember staying up late and having a conversation with you and Kanya. Yeah. Like... Well, yeah, it was because we didn't trust you. You were a stranger in our home. and, mm, and Makes we were sense. Like, we were like, who the heck is this guy? You should talk to the guy. Not entirely why. Yeah. 
But Kanye, on her way home, <laughs> Kanye was like, Tyrell, what if he's, what if he's a, what if he's like a creep? And I was like, we'll lock the kids' doors. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then after talking with you and like finding out more about you, there was like, there was no reason. They call all the kids called you Uncle Joel. Yeah. Because you were, you were there and you were making macaroni. Asher still talks about that homemade macaroni. Man, I would makes. love to come over again sometime and make that just for the sake of the kids. I can't even eat more than a bowl of it anymore. <laughs> I know uh, you had a five-gallon bucket of yeah, macaroni. No, I. Uh, if I make that once in a while, there's actually cheese in the fridge right now oh for it. Oh my god! Once in a while, I'll make it and I'll have a bowl and I'll think, man, this is really good. And then afterwards, I'm like, man, that's in another six months, maybe I can yeah. make this again. This tastes really good, but the memories have really yeah. bad aftertaste. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, man, that was and three plus years later. Yeah. I'm inviting you into my bedroom. Yeah. That had to have been, that had to have been close to, wait, how long have you been here? That was, I showed up in the first week of October of 2017. 2017. Yep. Man, it does seem like so long ago. It really does. That's nuts. <sighs> yeah. Recently, memories of the last year and what it was for me have been mm. cropping up and thinking, I was in Siloam some weeks ago, just wandering. I was actually out there looking for, I was looking at thrift stores for things. Mm -hmm. And I was wandering around. Then I went to Poor John's and I got some coffee and I went on a walk and took some pictures. And it hit me really hard that I had lived there a year Mm -hmm. before. One year prior to that, I was living in Siloam. And it was a very interesting time of my life. Yeah. And then I, at that time, too, I was preparing to leave the country. To go to Australia, right? Yeah. It's almost been yeah. a full year. That's nuts. The first, oh, yeah. the first, when this show will release, was the day that I flew out. Wow. Yeah. Which I feel like that's an appropriate, a, a new start, a new yeah. thing happening right on that day. Yeah. It's Man. taken me that long. Because I knew before I left that this was something I wanted to do. Yeah. How long did um, you stay in Australia? Three months? Just two months. Okay. Yeah, I got back early March. Oh, it was right. It was when the fires were happening. Yeah. And then I came back right before all this stuff started happening. Because Aaron, my younger brother, visited me that Sunday. And I met him. Yeah, he visited me that Sunday. Wow. Shout out to Aaron. I know you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> my one family member who probably will. <laughs> um, he was visiting and we went to church. He, I got in on a Thursday, and he got in Saturday night, and we went to the Grove. Wow. Um, and that was the last time the Grove met before it shut down. Mm-hmm. And then he left too, like the next morning. So it was like super quick, spontaneous trip. Yeah. I had just got back too. Like I was sleeping on John's couch, <laughs> right in there. Wow. Yeah. If anyone's interested, if anyone just loves taking people into their home and putting them on the couch and just having them sleep there for a few days, like, I'm into that. Yeah, careful. Don't put that on Craigslist, my man. No, not on Craigslist. Just on Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. To where the world Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, you know, it's not not region or it's not, like, based on where you are. It's just everywhere. You know, when I think back to this year and, and all of the crazy things that happened, uh, the fires, I mean, thinking about the fires that happened in Australia, I bought a shirt from um, from Bungie, the makers of Destiny, the game that I play a lot. Okay, right. 
Um, you buy you buy a shirt, and they sent 100% of the proceeds to the Australian um, wildlife and firefighters. Um, they'd like split it between the wildlife and the firefighters. They drop some in the forest. Yeah, and yeah, and then the, the firefighters could like um, cherry pick it. You know, yeah, it's yeah. really fun for them amidst the firefighting. They, I, I, I bought that, and I love that shirt. Oops, I love that shirt. And every time I put it on, I'm like, man, I bought this so long ago. And I'm like, no, I did not. I bought it 10 Beginning months Beginning of this year. This is 2020. This 20. This 2020. Yeah. And that just, it, even with all of the things that happened, we moved into our new home mm-hmm. last December. And the video popped up on my Facebook timeline. And, and I rewatched it. And I thought, man, that was such a, that was such a crazy, uncertain time. And little did we know that there were even more uncertain times to come. And... Um, we faced 2020 in our new home and quarantined there. But even thinking about that, Kanye has said so many times, you know, I don't know. I know we would have done it. We would have been fine. But to have to quarantine in that house to where the kids couldn't go anywhere would have been, in the old house, would have been very difficult for her. And and so it was nice to have space. And in our new neighborhood, they've met friends. They go to school with people that, with, with kids their same age. And that's been, that's been such a huge blessing because they haven't had that before. They've had friends but they haven't lived near friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and so usually after school, the kids are like, hey, can we go to the park with Oliver? Can we go to the park with Will? And and at our old house, it wasn't ever, there was never that opportunity. It was always, um, dad, can we ride our bikes in the front yard? And it was like, no, of course you can't because the front yard is the, is the, is the, the road. And if you go out there by yourself, you'll, you'll die. And, and I can't go out there with you right now because we're making dinner or, you know, we've got, 18 loads of laundry to fold or whatever mm-hmm. but and that's not an exaggeration for anybody no, wondering I, no. I remember that laundry room and 18 loads is probably accurate yeah yeah and Kanye and i still we there's about three loads of laundry we do every day and if we skip a day um it usually we usually end up um taking it from a chair to the bed and then from the bed back to the chair when we go to sleep and then the three loads for the next day they pile up on that so eventually wow. it gets to the point where we're like okay we have we have to do laundry kids go upstairs and read or draw or color or do whatever but be quiet and don't bother us <laughs> have you heard of this is not an ad but have you heard of i guess maybe it, could, it, it turned into an ad i suppose in some way have you heard of laundry balls have you seen these not the no. dryer balls oh no no, no, no. for the washer for the washer? Yeah. No. There, there's a box right there. You can't exactly see oh, it very the well. The one with the tree coming out of it. Yeah. Um, they are... Kind of, I think they're supposed to be biodegradable and all these different things. They're supposed to be very natural, good for the environment, don't waste much at all, and they last for months. It's It looks like this little like a dog toy with the you can see inside it and mm-hmm. you can see the like little balls and things in there yeah and you just put them in the laundry you can leave them in there and they they wash your clothes but and you and and at the end of whatever however many months i think it says in the packaging wait if it, to recharge them put them out in the sun for a couple hours every few months Joel, that sounds like witchcraft. It does, but I watched. So there's the, these, there's this couple in Nashville who have you heard of Blimey Cow? Uh, no, no. Uh, they were this homeschool like Blimey, channel on YouTube. Like, Blimey Cow, yes. Blimey. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Oh, okay. Very wholesome, like Christian channel. And mm. Jordan Taylor is the guy who kind of started it with his brother and sister, and now he's married and they live in the Nashville area. And he and his wife, Sarah, are very into, like, 
figuring out efficient ways to do things and being yeah. green and all this. And they were really skeptical too. Sarah saw an ad for them on Instagram, I think, and looked up a cheaper alternative from some Amazon brand and got that and used it. And they're just amazed. Because for one thing, they had a, a large dog whose mm-hmm. bed was just rank. And that was their test. If it can clean heavy's pillow, huge so thing. You, you put it'll that work. in the washer with your clothes. Yes. And you wash it and then you dry it and then you just reuse that same little item yeah. for every load. Interesting. Yeah. And you don't you don't use any other soap or anything. No. Well that'd be nice because Kanye and I make our own washing detergent. Oh, okay. Um, but with a mix, I mean, we buy a bunch of stuff and then we mix it together and it usually lasts longer. It's like, okay. It's alchemy. Like 30. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yes, yeah. And um, it comes out when you open it, it's gold in there. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. that's, that's I mean, very smart. That's how, hello. That's how we have afforded all of our eccentricities, you know? Um, and it's like $39 and it lasts, the last time we made it was September. Okay. And so it lasts about three and a half months. And, we just bought to compare a store bought like jug mm-hmm. to see, and that was eight dollars. See how long that lasts, and um, and then we're gonna compare the two. It's probably comparable. It might be a little cheaper to make our own, but our clothes always smell so much better when we make our own because it's a mix of like I'm gonna butcher the recipe, but there's like smell gooder stuff and borax <laughs> and like other things that clean things. Um, smell gooder stuff and, yeah and well okay borat so is in there too bor- borax borax <laughs> which whenever you microwave small parts of it, it it fluffs up and it just like crumbles in your hands so that's what oh. you do with it yeah smell gooder that's what we that's what the kids have called things that smell good they they call it smell gooder okay and so yeah. we naturally have adopted that for everything that smells good or I, I put it on every day Ellis, our youngest daughter, well, our only daughter, not our youngest child, but our only daughter, she will come to us and she'll say, hey, daddy, can I have some of that smell gooder? And she means like Kanye's hair spray that it, that is scented. Yes, you can have. And then the boys, they, dad, can you have that smell gooder for our pillows? And it's just like the general name for anything that smells better than the current smell. That's great. Yeah. I hope they're still saying that when they're like 35. I know. That'd be, that'd be wonderful. Dad, I got this cool new smell gooder. <laughs> My girlfriend loves That's it. That's fantastic, man. son. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. You're, you're aging terribly, Ty. <laughs> <laughs> I've turned 96. Uh, so 2020, a lot has happened, of course. Yeah. But let's back up. From right. there, because that's this this podcast is about you, Ty. Oh, today. Oh no. To, Wednesday, it's not about you anymore. Oh, so t- today it's about you. You know, take advantage. Yeah. Um, when were you born? Because you're not a whole lot older than me. You're thirty. What, like thirty-five. Okay, so yep. you're ten years older than me. Yep. So I was born July third, nineteen eighty-five, in Rogers, Arkansas. I was almost born at the radio. Uh, not the radio. Rodeo. My my mom was in labor, and my brother just had to see the bulls. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my dad was like, we'll watch the bulls, and then we'll go to the hospital. And so the bulls... The and bulls we're not ended. talking about, like, the Chicago bulls, right? No, no, no. We're For talking about, like, Chicago listeners, like, bulls. actual bulls. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's Parsons Arena, which is a which is a stadium, um, a rodeo stadium in, stadium in Springdale. Is that the one on 265 yep, over there? Yeah, Okay, yeah. I've and, never and, known what it's for. Yeah. Yeah, they do um, the rodeos first, second, third, fourth of July, and 
this particular night, mom was in labor. That was like, we'll be fine. We'll see the bowls and then we can go and, and then the boys will be fine, you know. Um, and so we saw the bowls, went to the hospital and I was born just a couple hours later. So, oh, wow. yep, July 3rd. So everybody in the United States celebrates my birthday. Wow. Pretty you know, I always wondered. I was like, "Why? Do, what are we doing today? Why? Yeah. We, what's with the fireworks and yeah. and the, the weird colors?" And huh, it's Ty no, Carlson, no. old Ty Carlson day. Yeah, but um, yeah, I was born born mid '80s, so I can't really claim that I know '80s pop culture. You know, like, I was five. I mean, I claim that I know '90s pop culture f- for the the uh, people who are like three years younger yeah. than me. Yeah, you know, so they understand that I'm much older and wiser right. than them. See, I there, but but people who claim '80s pop culture, like my brothers, for instance, um, born in '81 and '83, they can they remember a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I I don't remember much of the '80s, especially pop culture. Like I wasn't listening to music, I wasn't watching movies. Um, I do remember playing Mario Three a lot. So okay. I'm a regular Mario. So so my first system was a Mario. So I can't claim the Atari or or, or anything like that. Commodore sixty four. But. I do remember Mario, and I played, and that's that's that was the inception of my video game ness, because I've played video games since. Yeah, as you well know. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And so you've been you've been an Arkansas native all my life. Yep, born and raised. I've seen it go from three pretty distinct towns with their own kind of flavors and rivalries Mm -hmm. to. What I will what will probably be called a thriving metropolis in the next decade or so, because there didn't used to be, four twelve, which is the the road or the highway that runs east to west, used to just be two lane and and mm-hmm. it was it was just kind of like a back road almost, and that went from a two lane to a five lane and it was right by my mom and dad's house and that was like a big deal and um, it's been really interesting seeing Springdale where I grew up, change from just a, a town of several thousand, 10,000 maybe, into a, a, this huge, and it was a farming community before. There was lots of, of farmland and fields and orchards, and, and now it's, um, you know, there's like an Applebee's and a Starbucks, and then some, what is this abomination? But the things that made Springdale special have kind of changed to match the current culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Bentonville Walmart nearby, um, they try and gussy up everything, which is great. I, I love the enrichment that's that's been happening in Springdale, but there are parts of it that I hope um, kind of don't fade. Sp- Main Street, Emma, in Springdale has always been kind of a. We used to they do a parade down Emma. Um, we were in it in high school. They do floats and lights and all this kind of stuff and and that's always been a staple of growing up in springdale and i hope that doesn't go away because that's kind of the small town feel Mm -hmm. Um, but then you have over in kind of west springdale towards tawny town a little bit harbor high school and so there's a lot of um, enrichment in that community to make it very nice and upscale a lot of it Um, and it's been it's been fun to see it grow because there's it, it was kind of an ostracized little community it's it's the armpit of northwest arkansas is what a lot of people say and it, because it stinks it's the chicken plants and everything oh yeah it does stink in that way yes it does <laughs> um but it's it's also has a, a lot of its own small town charm and i hope that it doesn't lose that because fayetteville has its own kind of it's like the it's like the crazy uncle or, or the cousin that decides that it's not going to follow their parents wishes you know yeah 
Everybody thinks they're cool, but they don't ever say that because because you can't say that you'd get in trouble. No, right? you're not cool if you say that. Right. No. Right. You just you just admire them from afar. Yeah. And then Rogers is the rich uncle, and Bentonville is the rich aunt, and and they're married. And <laughs> the they one who has more money of the two. Exactly. <laughs> um, I when mean, your I, aunt I and uncle are rich, you know who is is spending the money. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the uncle. <laughs> Um, but it, I, I've loved growing up in Northwest Arkansas. It's been really fun to see it grow in a lot of good ways. Um, it's needed, it's needed a lot of help and I'm glad that Walmart's here and JB Hunt and Pam Trucking and Tyson Foods. There's, it's a really good community. And I think for the most part, even Springdale as it's, as its own community and Fayetteville as its own community, they all have their own, um, goals for what they want to be or, or kind of that reputation that they want to have but overall northwest arkansas wants to be good for everyone in northwest arkansas it's not like well fayetteville doesn't want you know springdale to be successful or something like that yeah yeah which sometimes you get i think of course speaking as a native who's only ever lived here i think that happens in other places but northwest arkansas as a whole i think the cities really do try to work together i mean i think (laughs) (laughs) who knows we could just be blowing smoke I mean, I haven't brought any smoke though. I'm, I'm a northerner, you know. <laughs> Although I don't, oh, don't typically. Know? If I, <laughs> if I, um, if people in Australia would have known where I was talking about, I yeah. would have said I was from Arkansas. Ah. Uh, but if they, I said that they say, "Where's that?" And I said, "Well, I'm from Chicago." It's like, "Oh, okay, uh, yeah. Chicago. Yeah, well, I kind of know where that is." <laughs> That's like locally, people are like, well, "Where are you from?" I'm like Springdale, Arkansas. I'm like, where's that? It's like, well, it's like. North of Fayetteville. Oh, I know where Fayetteville yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Only if they aren't Fayetteville. It's like, oh, it's Fort Smith area kind of. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I like it here. Yeah? Yeah. I yeah. think it's I mean, great. you had to for sticking around. Yeah, I st- I'm still here. Yeah. yeah. So what about, um, so you grew up here and you obviously saw it change a lot. I mean, for you to say it was 10,000 people, there was a point when it was. Less than that. Yeah. And it's over 70 now. Yeah. That's amazing. What, what does does the child in Thai miss oh, parts you're of make me nostalgic. what there Swingo was, was? So on on 412, where now a Harps and an AutoZone sit, across mm-hmm. the street there's a Walgreens, there's an Arvest Caddy Corner, and a neighborhood market on the other corner that's across from Harps and AutoZone. That, when it was just two-lane 412, there was a grocery store called Long's Grocery. And the owners of Long's Grocery lived maybe three or four houses up our little dirt road in Springdale. And we knew them and we talked to them. And anytime we went to Long's Grocery, they would always say hi. My dad always talked to everyone like we were, like they were best friends. And so um, that was, that was always kind of fun. It was just one of those one story, like po like it was like a podunk grocery store. Um, but I always remember going to the 7-Eleven across the street, which was equally podunk um but my dad parking he always pulled up to the same um gas pump Mm -hmm. and the the car he had it was a tahoe barely fit and so there's those little things where the people who work at 7-eleven and long's grocery you know who they are that's what i miss and you can get that in small towns um when connie and i are driving through 
we went to Murfreesboro, Arkansas to go to the Diamond State Park a couple years ago. And it was super fun. We had such a good time. And driving through some of those small towns, we thought, oh, this is such a cute little town. I bet everybody knows everybody. And the store is closed on Saturday mornings because everyone goes to like the, I don't know, the buffet at the local breakfast place. Um, but But you miss out on a lot of the conveniences of living in a bigger city or town. And while it's it's nice um, to know everybody, we always kind of come to the same conclusion that that it would be nice to live in a little quaint town like that. But I like I like things that are convenient. Not not because I can't live without them, but if they're there, that's that's good. You know, it's I was reading something on on Reddit the other day. It was talking about how old people always say, "You guys have it so much easier than we did." And it, it's that that's the point. That's why you make you make it easy for the next generation. Yeah. That's the whole goal, you yeah. know? And and I that's what I what I kind of equated it to now is that um that's that's the goal is to make things a little bit more convenient. You know, you don't want to have to drive an hour to go to the hospital. That's that's not really good news for anybody. So since the hospital's ten minutes away, that's that's great. Mm-hmm. And um I, I miss the little the little feel and some of that's still present. You drive down Emma and you have, you know, your your homegrown um, black apple cidery, which used to be there, but it's not anymore. But your parade that happens and, and you have the 4th of July um, parade that happens on Emma and, and you have some of that small town feel. So, so we get that, but it's also nice to have the conveniences of a growing town yeah. modernizing itself. Are there things about what it was that you think it could still be? Oh, man. I don't think so. I don't think it could ever... I I would hope that that as time goes on, people remember what it used to be and and they work to retain some of that, but but the march of progress is always going to happen and it's always going to erase most of the history that brought it to where it is. And there's part of part of that to be mourned, I think, um, but also celebrated because it's what got us where we are, right? There's a, a little restaurant that's the staple of Springdale called Patrick's, and it's homegrown. It's owned by a, a, a family that I went to school with their daughter, and and I know I know the owners, and that's kind of a fun thing to be able to say. And they have a picture on their wall of when Patrick started. It was literally in the middle of a field. There was a road, which was Huntsville, that went from, or Elm Springs Road, mm-hmm. that goes from the, the middle of Springdale or the edge of Springdale all the way to, like, Elm Springs. And it's just yeah. a straight shot. And in this picture, it's just a road in the middle of a field, and that's it. And then there's Patrick's, you know. Huh. And um, that won't, you won't ever see that again. And I think that that's good um there's there's a lot a lot to be said about you know bringing jobs and and stuff into a community but but you miss being able to say hey to the owners how's it going oh you know so and so is doing well oh well i'll I'll see them at church on sunday or whatever and we'll we'll say hi for you or whatever um but progress is is insatiable and you can't stop it so and you, you just hop on board, take a picture, and, and put it in your pocket so you can look at it every now and then. But but you got to keep moving forward, as painful as it is sometimes. 
Yeah. I do think that one of the the discussion about what progress looks like is a complex one because obviously it doesn't just mean moving in some direction. Yeah. Um, I think if that's all you mean, progress might not be the right word. It's a little too, yeah. It seems a little too specific to me. So that's a uh, discussion in and of itself. Hmm. But I think it is interesting to look at Whenever you get to look at something and know that it's transient and know that it won't last forever, yeah. there's something about that that's sad. If mm -hmm. it was meaningful to you, if it's if it had value to you in what it was, but recently in my life, I've been, in a way, finding more beauty in that thing because of its passing yeah. nature. To me, to be able to to hold on to something for a time and know. At some point, I have to let it go, yeah. and I get to treasure that memory and enjoy it all the more now, recognizing that I don't have it forever. Yeah, That's something that's actually improved how I'm able to enjoy the things in my life, even simple things, even something like I lived in Fayetteville for this time, and I lived in Siloam for this time, and I had um, this camera set up before this was my regular coffee shop at this time like onyx was that and now yeah. now i don't go there because you can't go there yeah. um to be able to look at it and see it as beautiful yeah and also accept willingly moving on from it yeah um i think that's it increases the beauty to me yeah it reminds me of um, the way that I that I think about the toys I had growing up, mm -hmm. my mom said that I could keep. I had I had a ton of Ninja Turtle toys and a ton of Jurassic Park toys. Mm -hmm. And my mom said you can keep one of them, but you can't keep both. And I chose Jurassic Park dinosaurs. Obviously, uh -huh. love Ninja Turtles, but dinosaurs they just take the cake. What is a turtle but a mediocre dinosaur? Really? I mean, it is just a primordial dinosaur. Yeah. That's all. And so, although I, turtles are still around. Well, so are dinosaurs, all right? Don't even get me started on that business. So I I have all of my Jurassic Park toys up in my attic right now, and except for a few that the kids have wanted to play with. And it's been like, oh, this is super exciting. You're going to get to play with toys with I, that I played with. Like, mm -hmm. I remember the package yeah. this guy came in. The kids are done with him in like, like 10 minutes. It's like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is the bull T-Rex, okay? He growls. You can stuff things down his throat, and he's got this cut in his tummy that you can, like, take him out. It's super exciting. I've, I've seen that toy. Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. big green dinosaur. Uh -huh. There's kind of like, yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of cool. That's that's neat. Hey, look at this other shiny thing, you know? Um, and I love that I have those toys. And maybe in 10 or 15 years when, when they have their own kind of... Um, families or, or they're looking at um, dad what did you do when you were little i'll be able to pass those on but i love that my toys are up in the attic if they want them they play with some of them sometimes mm -hmm. you know but i can't i can't make them enjoy what i enjoyed just like their kids aren't probably going to enjoy with what they enjoy playing with right now you know hopefully Fortnite goes away <laughs> but i i have them just in case and I think that that's a good lesson to have to, or to remember is like, like the things that we had as a kid, whether they're memories or pictures or toys or, or whatever you're choosing, um, you can, you can keep them, but you can't expect others to love them the same way that you love them. Mm -hmm. And talking about progress, it's like, 
there are things that are going to be different and you've got to be okay with it. Otherwise, you're, you're just that lonely high school guy reminiscing on his glory days whenever he was the quarterback and yeah. now he's got a 250-pound gut and, you know, sits on his couch. The gut on its own is 250. That's, what, that's exactly <laughs> what I mean. He's, he's 350 pounds and the gut itself is 250. Very he large has my gut. body. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. He has your that's body. A, that's a scary and thought. And two of you sitting on his midsection. Yeah. Uh, that's what Bud Light does to you, man. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't make you any lighter. Oh I can tell you gosh. that. But like, it that it, this subject is it's getting into the realm of it's it's opening the door for me to talk about minimalism, which is not something I've talked about yet on Ooh. this podcast. This is only you know episode three technically. Oh, so, okay, okay. Yeah, you know, but it, it that's something though that I've forced myself to um, appreciate more, letting go of things and and learning that value of the, the transient nature of most everything in our lives yeah if not everything you could make arguments that some things last beyond our life um but it's not that i don't see value in the things that i have or that i don't get sentimentally attached i think that maybe the difference between me and some people who don't like to get rid of their things is that i i've felt what it's like to move on from things and appreciate what they were before which is kind of what i was saying before but i've forced myself to let go of things Mm -hmm. and to understand that i have to yeah i'm not explaining it very well but it you know, having this discussion with, say, our parents' generation, for example, is difficult because, one, they come from a different time and possessions meant something a little different. Yeah. Um, but two, they're now in a different stage of life and all these things that they have, in my parents' case, I know, they care about it because it says something about their children, right. their relationships with their parents, these things that remind them of things that were... And I think deep down, it's really, it doesn't, the thing doesn't matter, but they've attached a memory to it, which is what we do when we make anything sentimental. You know, for me to not want to give up, um, I'm trying to look at, I don't have anything that I've had very long, so I can't find anything in my room. That belt right there. I've had that belt for probably over five years. Wow. Now I don't care at all about it, but I don't want to buy another belt. Um, But I can't think of this. This is a horrible example. I shouldn't have gone to the belt. It's like, what can I attach to a belt? Man, this held my pants up so well in that one time so when my pants would have fallen down yeah. and it would have been bad. Yeah. Um. What about what about relationships then? How do those differ? Um, in terms of being able to let go of relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I think they can serve the same function. Because in many cases, the reality is that relationships, many relationships don't go on forever. Yeah. They do end. And I think, I think we often do ourselves a disservice in how much we hold on to them mm-hmm. when we realize it is over. Yeah. Um, and that can be all sorts of different relationships. Obviously, romantic ones are the easiest example sure. because say you're in my position, you're like a young person, you're not married. 
the hope is to reach that point. And so feeling like you missed that and you have to discard the thing feels yeah. like throwing something away, even though you recognize you're moving towards something. It yeah. feels like losing. And, but being able to accept it means you have the chance to learn something from it and be grateful for something about it rather than doing what so many of us do and becoming embittered by it mm-hmm. and thinking, well, these are all the things that it wasn't. Yeah. And I wish it had been this and they could have been better at this and this is why it ended obviously those are bad examples of how to look at any relationship um it's gonna be harder of course like letting go of something like that than things yeah yeah because you let go of a thing and and deep down it's not the thing that was valuable it's a memory or a thought attached to it if you let go of a person that is what was valuable yeah there's so much of your experience and your your time with that person is wrapped up in who they are mm-hmm. to not have them around anymore that's different than letting go of your favorite yeah. toy or whatever it is well and there's a reciprocity to it too where if you're letting go of a belt or a toy it it's not feeling your loss mm-hmm. or the loss of you but uh, another person whether it's an an amiable disagreement and then you decide to part ways or whatever they are missing your presence maybe in equal measure as you are missing theirs but but there's that loss even if it's a healthy loss that's mourned and i think Mm -hmm. i think that a lot of times people assume that even if it's beneficial for both parties that the healing process is going to be the same for both parties or that the, the mourning process is going to be the same. I think there's a, there's a, a danger in, in assuming, I mean, there's a danger in assuming anything, right? But as far as relationships go, um, do you think that there is, there is a consequence, a negative consequence for not attaching or for, for maybe understanding that relationships in general generally don't last? You think there's a negative consequence? Yeah. Like, do you, for... do, you, do you think that maybe you don't get as attached as you could? Not you, you, but the, the no, royal let's, you. No, let's, let's talk about me, though, <laughs> specifically now, because that's what this is about. Oh, no. Oh. Do you think that there's a danger in knowing that you know, we shouldn't get too attached to people because relationships eventually will end regardless of friendship, romantic, or however, you know. Do you think there's a danger in isolating yourself? And then and then maybe it's just assuming that, well, this relationship's going to end anyway, so there's no reason for me to invest emotionally into it. I think that it goes both ways in terms of there's, there's danger on both sides of it, right? And yeah. whoever you are, you probably lean more in one direction than the other. For me, as a Enneagram 4... Oh, yeah, of course. I emotionally, I have difficulty not fully emotionally investing in another person. There's, there was a time in my life that's, that's mostly past when short interactions with people were difficult for me to have because I felt like if I was going to put anything into this person's life, I had to be fully committed now Mm. to this person in whatever way, this friendship, anything. For me to step into their life, I have to be willing now 
to pour my whole self into them. Mm. And that's not very practical. Right. It, it, it can't last that long. It just practically speaking, you can't do that with everybody. Um, and, and the danger there is that you just wear yourself out yeah. and you don't have anything to give yeah. to anybody at that point. Yeah, you pour everything out in these transient yeah. relationships yeah. that, that and, don't matter. And you likely are not leaving anything for yourself either. And yeah. you don't have, I mean, you run, you run dry and now you don't have to give, you don't have anything to give anyways. And what if some, a really good relationship comes along and you're, yeah. you're drained dry? Uh-huh. Yeah. So there's that obviously. And then the other end of it being over attachment, which I haven't been in a lot of relationships. So I'm not going to like point to specific <laughs> things and, and make, young people mad about what my thoughts on over attachment um yeah uh you you know i'm not a young person of course i was was born in the 90s um i think it's clear though how much damage can be done with over attachment and you don't even have to use a person as an example you you can take a pet like pets are very special things i really want a dog right now very much want a dog um practically i just can't have one right now but you will hurt yourself so much, and one could say unnecessarily, if you overattach mm-hmm. to another person without this understanding that whatever your relationship to them is, you are separate. Yeah. You, you are both individuals, and you both have your own lives. And it's probably not going to do you any either of you really any favors to overattach because it, it becomes codependence mm-hmm. and at the end of the day it makes both of you weaker um, yeah. on your own how do you balance that with with building a relationship and guarding your heart i don't pretend to have the answer to that just because yeah, yeah so for me i like I said, I was at one. I was at one end of the extreme for yeah. a long time, and I'm trying to to pull that back. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm much better at it now because talking to people I don't know is something I make an effort to do on a daily basis. That's good. Um, there's probably not an answer to that in terms of here's how attached or mm-hmm. unattached you should be, right? Right. But. Man, didn't mean to put you on the spot. No, I'm just. uh, I have. I think you being the much more intelligent person in the conversation (laughs) now. (laughs) Oh, I'm flattered. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's it's funny as I like, and I think we're both we're both quite similar in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I'm finding that even though you're asking me questions that I talk about on my head all the time, (laughs) it's hard for me to articulate them now. Yeah. I put you on the spot. Yeah. And you're supposed to be on the spot. I'm the interviewee, Ty. All right. Well, Wait, no, the then, interviewer. Then yeah. you put me on the spot, Joel. Put okay. me on the spot. Okay. Okay. I'm going to try and think of something. All right. Yeah. We're going to have a moment of silence now. We're going to pretend that it's a reverent moment so that I can actually, I can think about something to okay, ask Ty. Or like cross my legs? And no, no, it's okay. fine. I mean, we typically dig, I mean, what I, I say we typically, I love that I'm saying we and typically when it's me and we're three episodes in. Hey, you know what? You gotta start. You gotta start the track at the beginning, and then then everything becomes normal. It's like, oh yeah, they they always they typically do that anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I mean, we could be a thousand episodes in, but we have a new listener, and he's going back That's and right. listening to that show. She's going back. 
all the way to season one, episode three, and they still typically do this. Yes. See? It was amazing. Time isn't linear. It's all relative. It's a Jeremy Barry. Have you have no. you seen The Good Place? Oh, you should no, check it out. I have it's it. good. No. It's really good. Um, but this is about your story, right? Yeah. I this mean, is about your story. Yeah. Come on. You're very good at dodging the question, Ty. <laughs> okay. All right. You so what is something what since we were talking about loss mm-hmm. and and the difficulties of that, what's a loss you've experienced in your life that was hard and, and what what did it do for you? Yeah. So uh, my dad died in June this mm-hmm. year and he um, he was kind of the quintessential patriarch of um, a, a fairly authoritative home. We, he's had, he had cancer. He was diagnosed with um, leukemia and lymphoma in, man, 2009, uh, hang on, 2016, I think, 2015. And so, so he's had cancer for a long time. And, and the doctors have said, this isn't really a cancer that um, there's no cure. You're not going to do chemo. It's not something that, that will go away. Um, and there's some other thing that's like chromosome 13 or R13 or something. I don't know. There's some there's some other thing with it to where it, it can't be treated until it's um, affecting his daily life. So he would, um, the treatment was, was medicine or just pills that he would take that um, would minimize, they were supposed to minimize the symptoms of his cancer, which were a lot of like nausea, fatigue that kind of a thing. But the, the side effects of the medicine were nausea and fatigue and all, all of the things that cancer was doing. And so my mom and dad both decided unanimously that we're, we're not, we're not going to do treatment. There's no reason for it. We're just going to really um, enjoy the time that we have together. We don't want dad to be sick um, for weeks on end and then, and then die and him not have had the chance to, to really live. And so, um, so he's had that for a long time. We went to the beach. We go to the beach every year with them. We didn't go this year because of COVID, but last year was the last time we went to the beach um, and had this kind of um, falling, not a, not a falling out, but we just had a big argument with each other and, and like families do. And and at that point, I decided it probably was wiser for me to um, distance myself emotionally with dad um, and probably by extension mom, not because I didn't love them or didn't want to spend time with them, but just because I, I knew, I think then that when dad died, I'd have a really hard time with it. And, um, and so I did. Uh, and, and Kanye and I also talked about what our lives together would look like if we distanced ourselves. We were always the ones, um, we tried to be the ones that were always there on Sunday lunch. We tried to be the ones that if, if dad or mom needed anything, we were there. Um, Kanye had dad over for tea, usually twice a week. And that was really special for them. Kanya and my dad had a very special relationship because Kanya didn't have a dad growing up. He died when she was nine, and her mom is crazy. And so um, she had um, boyfriends in and out of her life for years until she met her current husband, Kanya's stepdad, and, and Kanya doesn't know him at all. So as a father figure, dad, my dad, was very, very much filled that role for her, and um, she loved him very much. And he got sick um, several times with pneumonia. That was no big deal. Just go to the doctor and get um, medicine for it and fix it. I don't think he was even hospitalized once with it. 
Um, but with Highlands Oncology, when COVID hit, he started getting sick um, in April and or in May. Just couldn't kick it. And he had um, gone to... Called called to see if they would get a prescription for him. They said that he would have to get a COVID test, and once it came back negative, then they could fill his prescription for him. Well, he didn't have that long. Um, he got a COVID test, and it came back negative while he was at the hospital. Um, and he went in, let's see, it was like five or six at night. I was at home, um, and... He, my mom texted all of us and said, daddy just has pneumonia. COVID came back negative, so it'll be okay. Because if it was COVID, we knew he probably wouldn't make it. Um, and then he, we went to sleep and I got a call at um, four o'clock in the morning. And it was my mom. And she said that um, daddy had, the doctors had done whatever they could, but um, sepsis had, he had developed sepsis in his blood. And at that point there wasn't anything that they could do. And so he passed away. And I remember hearing that. I mean, even now, like the audio that plays in my head at hearing mom say that, that daddy passed away is almost surreal. Just playing over in a loop over and over. And Kanye immediately broke down. She could hear through the phone. And she said, your mom called at four. I think we probably need to call her back. And I had missed the first call. Um, and I remember I'm, I'm, my mom apologizing. And she's saying, I'm, I'm sorry that daddy died. And I remember saying, it's not your fault, mom. Thanks for letting us know. Um, and as a nine, an Enneagram nine, I don't, I don't really want to show my emotion. I don't want to talk about it any time until I'm ready. But I wanted to make sure mom knew that it, I was okay at that point. I was definitely not okay, though. Um, I was awake for another 45 minutes before I drifted off to sleep, but I remember shivering from adrenaline. I, I At that time, I told Kanya, I'm freezing, um, but I don't think I was cold. I think it was just the shock. And um, I drifted off to sleep. And then I told, had to tell the kids in the morning. And that's probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do, is tell the kids that their poppy died. Finley, Finley knew as soon as I sat them down on the couch, I said, everybody come down to the couch. We need, I need to talk to you. Um, and I said, I need to tell you something. Poppy went in, Poppy was sick. And he went to the hospital last night. And as soon as I said that, Finley's eyes got as wide as saucers. And, and he, he said, oh, no. And I said, and, and, and he passed away last night. And Finley immediately lost it and was very upset. Um, and then that's when I lost it the first time. Asher was very stoic and just kind of like sitting on the couch, shaking his head and, and tears kind of running down his cheek. Ellis giggled. Um, bless her heart. She's like her daddy. She didn't really want to, she didn't really want to show that she was sad. Um, but then she, she kind of sobered up real quick and Kip was too young to understand. He was just two. So, mm -hmm. I mean, he is two. Um, and 
so then for the next few days, like we dealt with that. Um, and that was, that was impossibly hard. And I wasn't, I, I've always been very close to my dad and I love my dad very much and my mom too. And distancing myself from them after that fallout kind of at the beach, I think was a very good thing. It was a healthy boundary to put in place. Um, from that point, whenever, whenever we started distancing ourselves, we made ourselves less available, not, um, to be mean or, or cruel, but because as a family of six, we were very busy mm-hmm. and we had, um, our own schedules that we had to keep and our own, um, things that we were trying to accomplish and goals that we were trying to meet. And so we made ourselves less available so that we could be more available to one another. And I think that that was a healthy decision that we made. Um, but, but that process, you know, we, we used to go to my mom and dad's every other week for lunch, for Sunday lunch. And that was a really special time. All the cousins got to see each other. They all played together. Um, there are 12 grandkids, and so they love spending time with one another. And all of them are, are usually, there's two or three that are the same ages, so there's all these, all these kids that play together. Um, but we stopped that when COVID hit because we didn't want to infect dad. We didn't want him to get sick. If he got COVID, he would most certainly die. And he didn't even die from COVID. And so what we, Kanye and I, we, talked about afterward, after dad died and after the funeral and um, really kind of when life, we could talk about dad not being there without breaking down. It was um, what a waste of time trying to protect dad. And this is, of course, our instance. There are instances where it is best to distance yourselves to keep to keep your loved ones safe. But, but in our instance, um, we were so disappointed and discouraged that the last few months of dad's life we spent trying to avoid him for his well-being. Um, but it was, it was, that was a hard pill for me to swallow because I didn't want dad to think we distanced ourselves because of what happened at the beach. Um, and even now there's, there's this, this gnawing doubt that I have that the dad thought maybe I didn't, um, I didn't love him. And I, I know that that's, I, intellectually, I know that that's true. Emotionally, meh, maybe. And so what what that taught me really, kind of getting around to answering your question finally, um, is, and I'm not going to trivialize it by saying life's too short. I think that that's an, that's an awful saying. But family is, is so important um, and building those memories. And it's helped me tailor the way that I speak to my children and, and the, the time that I spend with them because now I've realized the only thing I have of dad are memories. That's it. I've got his stuff if I wanted it, but I don't care about his stuff. My brothers, they have very special memories of hunting with dad and they did they did these things with dad and they went they did sports with dad. I didn't do anything of that. I didn't do any of that with my dad. Um, when I was old enough to say no, I don't want to go hunting. 13, 14, 15, I stopped hunting. I haven't, I've hunted maybe once or twice since then. I don't like hunting. Dad loved hunting. I don't regret not hunting, but I don't have a bond with dad like my brothers, my older brothers do because they hunted. So dad's guns, dad's hats, his hunting gear, that kind of stuff is really special to them. Um, and so all I have, which I'm glad about, is memories. I've got some great memories with dad. And so 
this whole process and, and even the grieving process, which has been really strange, almost like living in two parallel universes where both are true, um, but undeniably different, has been very strange. Waking up in the morning and thinking, oh, I should call dad and tell him about X, Y, Z. And then at the same time knowing I can't call dad, there are these clashing things that, that can't coexist and yet somehow do. So um, it's taught me, this is the first real loss that I've had that has affected me at a deeper level than like, oh, that's sad that my friend from high school or that person, not even a friend, that person from high school passed away or their parents passed away or, or a great grandmother passed away. I, I didn't have a bond with them. And so this is the first loss that I've felt where, where it actually hits very, very deep. Um, and so that's, it's, it's taught me a lot. It's taught me a lot about myself. I really do avoid emotions. Um, I don't, I don't want to express them at all intellectually, or I mean, emotionally, I, I have, I, I feel like a good vocabulary to how to describe what I feel. Um, but, but I don't want to talk about how I feel and I don't want to feel it right now. I, and that might be characteristic of a lot of guys anyway, maybe that are raised in Christian homes, um, that especially from the generation of my parents, because you don't, it's important to feel, just don't show that you feel. Mm -hmm. Um, but I went to school to be a family and human, a family therapist. And so I've got my degree in family and human science. And so I, I know what, what happens whenever you don't express your emotions. I just still don't like them. You know, <laughs> I know they're necessary. I just don't really, eh, I want everyone to be happy. Let's not rock the boat as a nine, you know, don't rock the boat. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It is a great story answer. Okay, I like good. that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is for one thing, an opportunity for people to almost in a therapeutic way, talk through yeah. some, some maybe difficult things or, or important things, but also, um, a chance for me to ask questions that often I'll want to ask and think, nah, I can't ask that. Yeah. Um, so were you, you said you were always close to your dad. Mm -hmm. w were you closer with your dad than maybe with your mom? Because for me, I have a very clear mm -hmm. answer when people ask me that question about what my relationship with my parents is like. Yeah. What was that like for you growing up and, and having siblings yeah. who maybe just interacted more or on a different level than you did with your dad? Um, I, my mom and I were always closer. Um, I, I baked with my mom all the time and, and read books together. My dad did the same thing though. We, we read books together and, and anytime I was out in the shop, he repaired cars for a living when I was growing up. And so anytime we were out in the shop, he was always explaining what he's doing and what, what the tool is and how it works. And so, so my, my closeness with dad, I think is measured more on the emotional connection that we felt and not necessarily the time that we spent together. Mm -hmm. um, but for mom, it was, it was the emotional connection that I feel based on the time that we spent together. Whereas my dad, I think is in spite of the time that we didn't spend together. Mm. Um, and so my mom, my mom, even now, um, we're still, we're still close. And, um, she, in fact, after dad died and after we had the funeral, she said, you know, I, I'm, I really regret that fight at the beach. I think that's whenever um, she said something along the lines of, um, 
that's whenever maybe things changed or something like that. And I said, you know, mom, that was something that was going to happen one way or another. Um, Kanye and I were reaching a point where we couldn't maintain the um, time investment to take care of our four children and each other and the time investment that we had previously been able to meet um, before we had four kids. And now life was was kind of turning our schedule on its head. And so that was going to happen anyway. It was just the the fight was the impetus. That's That was the catalyst that started it. So um, I said, I don't regret that. And I certainly don't love you or dad any less. Um, and I don't regret it. And she said, well, I do. And that was interesting. That was interesting to hear. Um, and she said that she was very sorry about it. Um, but dad and I, dad and I were close because I think he knew that I was not a hunter. I wasn't a a ball player. I wasn't into sports. I was into video games and cartoons, two things that dad had zero clue about. In fact, GoldenEye 007 was a Nintendo 64 game. It's probably the best Nintendo 64 game other than maybe Star Fox. But I was showing dad how cool it was one time. And I, I had, I put big head mode on and I shot <laughs> Natalia in the big head with the, the desert Eagle Colt 45. How could any father not be impressed? And with blood drips down the street screen. Dun-na, 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 dun-na. And my dad gasped. He sucked all the oxygen out of the room. <laughs> <gasps> Give me that game now. And that was, and he took golden eye 007 and I never saw it again. Wow. Um, he didn't, he didn't get it. And it's like, dad, it's just a game, you know, but at that time, video games were still developing and, and it was like stories of kids shooting their friends thinking they were going to respawn like they do in a video yeah, game. You know? I was uh-huh. way smarter than those losers. Yeah, of course. You still are. Oh, way smarter. But this may be definitely thus far, but maybe for some time in the future, this will remain the most sarcastic episode of, of this podcast. Yeah. I, I hope to maintain that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, me and mom, me and mom are close. Me and dad were close for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Did your parents? Um, I mean, obviously they did have. What What was the spiritual formation, as encouraged by your parents, like? Yeah, um, my mom. We'll get into the the woo woo. Yeah. Area okay, good, good. Of conversation. Yeah. We every morning, uh, my mom before school, my mom would make breakfast, and my dad would read over breakfast, read a passage of scripture and ask us questions. We'd have quiet time together every morning. Um, he, that's, and that happened, I mean, I can think of maybe a handful on one hand, count them on one hand, the times where that didn't happen. And usually it was because someone was sick uh-huh. or something, you know. Um, and so, and so dad and mom always encouraged us to, to read our Bibles and pray together even to this day. Um, they they remind us to pray for one another and and or mom does and i really appreciate that because one of the things that now i do with my kids is let's pray for xyz situation you mm-hmm. know um we'll see an ambulance or a car wreck and and finley immediately is like let's quick let's pray for him and i love that there's this understanding that no matter where we are and what we're doing um god's right there waiting for us Dad was a preacher's kid um, from, and his, his mom actually just died last month. His dad was a pastor in Minnesota, um, up in the north, and their, 
the home that he came from was was very um what's the l word legalistic that's it okay very legalistic the dad is the dad and is the law the mother is there to support the dad and she shouldn't say anything that ever contradicts the dad well i saw that growing up that when mom would contradict dad dad would get really angry and mom was like i'm not i mean i'm not going to just let you walk all over me but she was a missionary's kid in Paraguay. She grew up in Paraguay. And so her mentality was serve serve everyone because that's what God calls us to do. And, mm-hmm. and I think she had a healthy view of that. Um, but her parents were dad is the dad and mom is the mom and you do what dad says, period. It was different for my, my mom because my dad knew the dangers of a jungle. They lived in the jungle with, with the... Um, the Guajiki, which are an Indian tribe there. In fact, my grandpa helped translate the Bible into Guajiki. Mm. And so my mom's my mom's perspective of what of of the authority of the father was because that's safety. Um, some of our favorite things growing up were were having my mom tell Paraguay stories of her time in the jungle and how a snake fell on her when she was in the barn or she was chased by a wolf, you know, like all these crazy things that we'll never get to experience, right? Yeah. But my dad's perspective was my dad is the dad or I am the dad because God has put me in this position. It was, it was much more authoritarian. And so growing up, I, I saw that um, and I have opened my mouth and heard my dad come out plenty of times in our marriage. And Kanye has had to remind me, sometimes not so gently, that that's not, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> and so I have had to kind of kind of form that um, and, and temper myself a little bit. Um, but finding ways to do that with my own children has been, I've found it difficult because my dad woke up every morning I, and after he died, the morning, the morning that he died after I got the phone call from mom, I remember waking up and having, I'm not going to call it a vision, but seeing in my mind's eye so clearly my dad sitting on the porch of my childhood home with his old cracked Bible, drinking a cup of coffee. That's how I saw my dad constantly. And um, and, I, and I, I heard a robin singing that morning, and it was just, it was very picturesque, but it was quintessentially my dad. That's how I saw my dad. Um, I don't do that. I don't wake up every morning at the, at the crack of dawn and read my Bible and drink a cup of coffee. I get up 15 minutes before the kids have to be at school and and drink a cup of coffee and then the kids get ready for school and we take them, you know? Yeah. Um, and so the difference is, I think, that I'm I'm taking the, the daily things that my parents instilled in me of, you see someone who needs help, help them. The other day there was a guy at Target who needed jumper cables. I have jumper cables. Why would I not? So I showing, have a couch. This kid doesn't have right, a place to yes, sleep. exactly. Yeah. yeah. You... you it's, it's those little things, um, and gosh, it's so funny. Last night, Connie and I were watching this show called Call the Midwife. Uh-huh. You should absolutely watch it if you don't. Everyone I, listening, I've seen it, and I, won't it. See, and I won't watch it. It is... My mom watches it. It or is... Or has watched it. Hi, Mom. Probably. Um, every single episode, one of the best ways I can see that um, a public service serving the public without pushing Christ into people's throats but showing Christ with their, with their example. 
And last night, um, one of the one of the nurses or one of the midwives was talking about how she do, she doesn't believe in God and she doesn't think God is in her in the um, the work that she does because she doesn't believe in it. And, and one of the mid one of the nurse the nuns says, you know, the hands of the Almighty are often found at the ends of our own arms. And I loved that because so many times it's so easy to say, well, they need Jesus, or or you can quote a verse at them or something. But so many times people need uh, us to reach a hand down and pull them up or to, to give them jumper cables or to give them a hug or to let them sleep on the couch. You know, so many times we just need to, to show the human connection that Christ brought to earth instead of quoting the Bible to them, which I think is most likely our parents and their parents' generation. So... Hopefully, what I'm doing in my children's spiritual formation is showing them it is it is 100 little things that show people Christ. It is not one big thing that shows people Christ. Hmm. And you mentioned that when you would get up in the morning with your parents and you would read the Bible, and your your dad and or your mom or both would would ask you if you had questions. Is yeah. that what you said? So was that was asking questions as far as Christianity or the Bible or faith concerned? Was that something that was encouraged for you growing up? Um, it was mostly, I, I think it was mostly to make sure that we were listening. Mostly like, so what did the okay. Philistines? Okay. What happened with the Philistines? You know, um, and what did Jesus say? And we always make fun of my sister because she could never answer, it. and, <laughs> and she, I just think that she didn't listen. But my dad would always get so frustrated because he'd say, and what did, and you know, what just happened? And my sister would look at my mom with like fear in her eyes, like, <laughs> oh no, I wasn't listening. <laughs> and uh, always answer Jesus, you know. Maybe we should incorporate that into our regular conversation with people. Like, and what did I just say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what did I just read? What did I just read? Yeah. It's, it, I think, I, I don't know if my parents encouraged us to ask questions, but my guess is that they didn't discourage it because whenever I was in college and I was a youth pastor, I remember telling the kids um, that were in my youth group, like, you need to ask questions. You need to ask, why do I believe this? You need to ask, what, wh- how is this going to affect my life? Why is it important for me to believe this? And how am I going to live it out? Um, I had one girl ask, um, Ty, what's what's being a Mormon? What's the difference? And, and it was a great opportunity for me to have a conversation about, well, here are the differences. Here are major differences. How is it going to affect your life if you decide to subscribe to Mormonism instead of um, biblical Christianity? And, and I don't know if my parents ever encouraged us to ask questions, but somewhere, somehow, they had to have been okay with it. Mm-hmm. So do you make a practice of regularly still asking questions as an adult? Because mm. in, in my view, mm. we're, I'm struck by this all the time. I was watching last night the movie called The Thin Red Line. Have yeah. you seen this? Yeah. Terrific, beautiful movie by Terrence Malick. Um, and I was sitting there watching this movie, and I couldn't stop thinking of all these soldiers as children. Yeah. Like when you, if you get thrown into this situation, mm. which the world's a little bit different now, I think war is a little bit different, especially as Americans. Yeah. We don't really experience the same things that others do. And I'm not a soldier and I'm not speaking from that perspective. <laughs> but war is conducted differently yeah. in a lot of ways than it was. But you put anyone in that situation and you are a human being going out being told, kill those other human beings. Yeah. And I think something is going to 
you're going to see things a little differently. And I was being struck the whole time watching this movie that all these were just grown-up kids. We're just children who have experienced different things, who have now lived through a little bit more, but we're still just children, and we don't really know why this is happening. Yeah. I mean, imagine being in that situation. My my grandfather was there at Guadalcanal. Um, That's where he, he was disabled. He lost his eyesight and several of his fingers in World War II. Wow. And to be in that situation, just doing that, I, I don't think there's anybody who's in there and can put their mind around exactly why this yeah. is going on and why it's fine. And now I'm an adult, so I can handle it. Right. Versus <laughs> I'm a child, and this is just overwhelming, and I don't know what's wrong with the world. Yeah. Um, and I think in the same way, we're, we're children as we get older, mm-hmm. and... When I realize that and I realize that I'm not in a whole lot of a different position than I was as regards like what this God is to me than I was as a child, because I still don't understand. Mm -hmm. That helps me to be able to ask questions and to be okay with um, uncertainty and um, doubt or lack. I don't know if I might really if I grabbed the thought that I was originally going for, but do you, do you make a practice of asking questions? Yeah. As a... I, I get, I get what you're putting down. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that it's, it's really important for us to ask, um, why we, why we do things and not necessarily in just in really in relation to our religiosity, but to like, why do I do this thing every day? Why do I go to work every day? Right? Why do I um, want to play this video game, or why do I want to play video games at all? You know, because too many times um, we're looking for an escape from something. And video games, I mean anything, but specifically for me, video games are a really good escape. Mm-hmm. The kids are in bed, the laundry is more or less done, the dishes are done. Um, you know, if Kanye's out of the house or if she's busy doing other work, that's that's my chance to finally be like, okay, now I cannot be dad and I don't have to be husband and I don't have to be employee. I don't have to be friend. Um, but the danger is, is when we stop asking, why do I keep doing this thing? Because then it, then it becomes um, such a rigorous part of our life that, that we are, I think I've begun to understand whenever people say you worship things. I never imagined myself bowing down to my Xbox, right? But the amount of time that I have spent on certain games, I can certainly understand how someone would say, well, that is akin to worshiping with the amount of time you spend on it, you know? And so I think we have to ask ourselves, not just like why we do these things every day, but but why do I believe that the Christmas story right now? Do I really believe that um, December 25th, Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem? Well, Am I going to confine God to that box? Certainly not. I wasn't around. Do I believe that Christ was born? Absolutely, 100%. Do I know all the details? Nah. Does that diminish God's ability or, or his godhood? No, not at all. My kids asked the other day, Dad, what what was the Big Bang? And so I explained what it was, and they were like, well, did God do that? And I was like, 
Maybe. I mean, I, I don't know. And no one really knows. Maybe he did. Maybe he created everything by snapping his fingers and the Big Bang happened. Does that diminish who God is? Absolutely not. If he used evolution, does that diminish who God is? No. He just as easily could have done that because God is God no matter what. And we have a very, I don't even, I won't even stretch it to say we have a very small understanding. We don't understand who God is. And so if we're asking ourselves these questions, I think it's, we're going to come to the conclusion that, wow, I really don't know Jack's squad. Okay. So if I can approach life, not with, not with a kind of a self-debasing attitude, but just an understanding, you know, I don't know everything. I don't, I know very little. Um, I have an idea and I can share that idea with someone else. And if they disagree, that's perfectly fine. They might actually be right. Yeah. A life would be a lot easier. I mean, our current social climate, political climate right now, if, if people would just understand that we don't know everything, things would be a lot easier. Of course, easier said than done, but there you have it. What Do you have a question in relation to spirituality or God that you are currently wrestling with? I know you're a nine, but... You yeah, did, you yeah, I've got to get podcast. in touch with my emotions a little bit now. Um, you know, there's something that I've been, I've been toying with, and I don't know if it's formed into completely into a question. Um, but, but since Dad has died, this question or this this emotion, this feeling that's kind of uh, I don't know, coalesced in my brain is, is what's the purpose of relationships and within those relationships devotion and love and loyalty and kind of all the things that go along with it mostly things that i feel toward my dad or, or parents in general um to my wife and um and because we know that we have a loving god and we know that god so loved the world every single person in it good and bad that he sent his only son so okay well but what role does that devotion play um, in in our everyday relationships? And so the question that I've more or less been been trying to feel out is not why do we have that? Um, I know why, but but how to cultivate that in in relationships that aren't just the ones we're supposed to feel it in. I married my wife and I love her dearly and I'm very committed to her but but why does why do the emotions with between her and I are they uh, I mean I know why some of them are confined to a marriage but but how do you expand that into other areas of your of your friendships or your um your family and you know it, within the the emotions that you feel towards people in your family how do you how do you limit those or expand those into your into your friendships outside of your family and um, and what does that look like in a healthy way? And what does that look like in an unhealthy way? So I, I know why God gave us emotions, but sometimes it just would be so much easier if we didn't have them. And so my, that's, that's been what, where I've, I've always kind of circled back and come to, come to that in the last couple of months is, is it would be easier if we just didn't feel. So therefore, why do we feel and wrestling with that? And it, it's neither here nor there. I'm never going to get the answer, and it doesn't matter if I get it or not. 
but every now and then that crops up and i think huh, i wonder you know i don't know because i'm a four and i like what? you don't know i mean i've asked the question certainly because a difficulty which i've come to terms with at this point being someone like me means you feel very high highs, but mm-hmm. your lows are equally low. Yeah. And when you exist in a, in a, when you're in a place that is just a low, low for a long period of time, and that just feels like where you are, yeah. it's easier to think it'd be better if I just didn't have either. Because I don't get a lot of the high highs anyways, you know, as someone who's wrestled a lot with depression, who's now four years out of his suicide plans, mm-hmm. like it, it, I understand that thought of yeah. it could be, it could be easier, maybe even better if we were just level ground all the time. Yeah. What would that look like though? I, I know I have a mm-hmm. friend who um experiences similar things to me and has medicated for it a little bit and has described being in that place where she didn't feel anything mm-hmm. and how she knew either in the moment where she was there experiencing that or after the fact she knew this is so much worse than not than than feeling everything yeah to just be this kind of dead inside robot that you just intellectually process everything and you don't really, you just don't feel to not have those emotions. I mean, think about it just in terms of history. If human beings, whatever you believe are, you know, however many years old as a species, if we've spent up to this point, always being an emotional species. And now we have drugs that yeah. you can pop in your mouth and just turn that off. That's got to be a shock. Yeah. That's got, that's different. I feel ourselves getting into the giver territory now. Yeah. Oh, that's a great <laughs> book. It's a great book. Finley um, is a four. Okay. And we uh, have always described him as having very high highs, feeling very big things, whether it's happy, happy, sad, angry. He always feels it very big. And so seeing that from the outside... Oh, I've never said, man, if he could only just not feel, that'd be great. It's it's always been, how do we equalize how he feels big things, you know? Because feelings, I know that they're valuable. Mm-hmm. Even as a nine, I know that they're valuable. But but their role, I guess, in every day. Yeah. I think that's something that I still try and figure out. Yeah. Because, I mean using family as an example like he's young he's a child still he's still forming his ability to rationalize these emotions Mm -hmm. and see them as as pieces of information it's much harder for him to regulate that right than it is for me as i'm kind of approaching the age where my prefrontal cortex is fully formed right yeah which it probably isn't even already (laughs) um for me, I can step out and look at things and think about it and think, okay, I understand how I feel about this and why, but I can choose to step back a little bit and dial it back and be okay with it. Yeah. That's much harder to do when you're Finley's age and 
you just feel it all. Yeah. Um, I think as, a, as an adult now coming to grips with kind of the way my brain works and, and the way my emotions function in my life, I would never exchange it at this mm. point, the, the high highs and the low lows together. I think, and it's very, it sounds horrible to say that like fours just experience life better <laughs> than everybody else, but we definitely experience it differently yeah. than people because everything is more significant. Mm-hmm. Everything that you feel and experience just occupies more of your soul yeah. than it does for some people. And I know that just from talking with other fours and then other people who aren't, don't relate to that personality type. My younger brother, Aaron, is a four. Hi, Aaron. <laughs> Again, <laughs> yeah. I think I said hi to him earlier in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> Love you, Aaron. Um, Aaron's a Me four. Too. Aaron and I- <laughs> You've met Aaron, yeah. Yeah, yeah you can say that. Cool, dude. Yeah. Um, he and I relate on a lot of levels, and he has experienced much of the same thing, like just mm. experiencing things at a higher level. And it can be rough, and it can be, it can be very tiring. Mm-hmm. Um, tiring is the word I often use. It's, it's, I have spent years just kind of feeling exhausted, from feeling but before coming to this place where i could understand the blessing that it was um and learn how to accept it and sit in the grief or the sadness or the joy the jubilation of things before i was able to sit in those and just experience them for what they were man it it just wasn't it didn't feel like it was worth it most of the time um i i feel differently now though I've come to a place, I think I crossed over that ground um, last year when I was more frequently than I ever had before continuing to ask the question, is this worth it? Is the amount of pain you feel when you feel things this much worth the potential for joy? I finally came to a place where I was able to say, yeah, it is. Um, and I'm grateful for that. I recognize there are probably a lot of people who are in that space still, yeah. still unable to answer, is it worth this? Um, as wonderful as I feel that it is, feeling and experiencing life this way, I would be curious to know the relationship of depression and mental health disorders to whether or not you are for what what your relationship to emotions is like because if you don't have the strength either borrowed from others or found in yourself to overcome those low lows you exist in that place i mean i described for people before for a long time these depressive fits were like going downhill pretty steadily and then you kind of level out and you go straight but you don't climb up again and the next time you dip down a little bit further Mm -hmm. then you level out and you dip down a little bit further and every time you go down you just feel lower than before to where your baseline is continually lower Mm -hmm. and i existed in that place for a long time where my baseline was just not a place i wanted to be at and the pattern i had seen develop in my life suggested that it would continue getting lower so what's the point you know yeah and i'm grateful to have come out of that 
and in coming out of that be grateful for the personality that kind of allowed me to go through that mm-hmm. but for anybody listening who needs to hear this uh i'm sorry that it hurts as much as it does but i do think it's it's worth it's worth it when you get to experience the other side and when you're not a slave to one side or the other do you think that that other side only comes after you've passed through and finally been able to develop your prefrontal cortex? <laughs> Certainly the latter is probably true. Uh, um, and I ask that kind of in jest, but a little bit serious because yeah, of so course, many times yeah. we we attribute like the the tribulation of adolescence and it's like if you just make it to the other side. It's really true. Yeah. Just get to the other side of like where finally your brain has has collapsed all the synapses that are unnecessary and, and connected all the ones that are, then finally you can start making sense of why you feel the way that you do. Man, the number of people who told me that before, yeah, who kind of said like, yeah, man, 24, 25, going to that, it was just a rough time. But, you know, I got on the other side of it, and it's just, it, it got better. And I'm like, no, it's not going to get better. Life is drab and horrible and dark and <laughs> it's a gloomy. Gray existence. Yes, <laughs> this is just a stage. I'm just a player in this game I never wanted to be a part of. Like a cog in the wheel. Yeah, oh my you know gosh. that. That was yeah. I'm sure a lot of it relates to developmentally where you are, yeah. um, growing, uh, just physically your brain forming more helps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think in part, yeah, it, it does, it requires without being specific about when you're going to get over it. Because for me to suggest, well, if you just reach 25 or 26 or whatever it is in your brain right. forms, you'll be great. That would be, I'm not going to say that. Right. I don't think that's true. But to say it requires a great deal of patience mm. and persistence and a willingness to push through. Absolutely. And I do think whatever that point is, if you keep going i think you'll get there and this is someone who as i said like i was i had my plan in place i knew how i was going to put myself out and i didn't do it and i've got to experience life on the other side of it and see how much things have changed and i'm not suggesting that it'll change in the same timing for everybody right but i did find that reason for going on and and as a kind of as a seeker of god because i often don't like to use the label of christian and i especially now yeah and i'm probably on the far end of what a lot of people view as christians anyways um i had something other than myself to push for and something I believe helping me along too. I don't claim to have reached the point I'm at now, my own strength, or that the point I'm at now is a point of completion at all. Um, Did you ask yourself questions about why you feel the way you do? I mean, other than just the, the, why do I feel like this all the time? Did you, did you try to intellectually dismantle your emotions during this, during the times of darkness to try and get to the root of, Am I feeling this way because circumstances or am I feeling this way because this really is who I am or am I feeling this way, you know, because of of things that are happening to me or with me or is this self-inflicted? 
did you find yourself asking those questions or would you or do you wish you had i did not intellectually process it in that way i, I didn't articulate any of that I mean, very i don't well. even know if at that age people have generalized people have the ability or capability to do that but i'm curious it, it is i'm sure at a younger age it, it is more difficult to step outside yourself and examine mm-hmm. yourself in that way um for me the reason i thought i was that way is because i just thought it was broken which mm-hmm. i mean that's a very typical four thing is you assume there's something wrong with you yeah but to me it went so far as to at a certain place me legitimately worrying that I had a personality disorder because I felt like there were just so many voices in my head that there's no way they could all be mine. Mm-hmm. I felt so up and down. The world around me, everyone seemed to function easier than I did. I convinced myself that I was I was broken and yeah. I was insane. And I just assumed that was the reason. I didn't I don't think I necessarily tried to understand okay what's happening in my brain that i'm feeling this way what are the emotions i'm feeling and why is it am i importing this onto the situation unnecessarily or is this a natural consequence of what's happening and i'm just kind of elevating that above maybe what some people would feel i couldn't have thought about it that way i think as a teenager um I do now, though. It, it's much easier now for me to set those things aside and look at them as aspects of me, but not me. They don't dictate how I have to live. Right. Um, I do get to enjoy the benefits of them being part of me. But when they're serving no purpose but to bring me down, I can step away. Yeah. And, and um, focus on other things if that serves a purpose. Not that I think we should try always to step away from the emotions that are hard. I don't advocate for that at all. Yeah. Um, I would much, I would be quicker to say, no, you should sit in them for a little while. Yeah. Um, feel them. Yeah. Feel them like, and not even understand them. Cause I don't think I, I still don't understand what's happening. I'm sure scientists could go into all kinds of detail of, well, here's electrically what's going on in your brain right. that's causing this. But it still wouldn't answer the question that all these emotional people are asking. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't solve the problem. It wouldn't be able to make them, oh, okay, now I understand. Now I'm good. That's yeah. not how it works. Yeah. Um, but, I, yeah, I more often advocate for people to sit in it yeah. and, and just, just experience it. I, I think particularly in a a western culture we're used to looking at emotions as either positive or negative things Mm -hmm. um assigning value or worth to them based on how convenient they are for us or how um or yeah i mean just their their difficulty level and how they affect our routine yeah and it's the example i always use is grief the typical thing that Americans want to do, I think, when people are grieving is to help the person get over it, mm-hmm. get uh, beyond it. Um, and the goal in approaching or talking to that person is, I want to figure out how I can get them to the next thing. Yeah. Not being with them where they are now. Recognizing eventually they'll come out of it when they're ready yeah. to, 
too. So much of what we were told while we were grieving dad was, was feel what you feel. Um, and, and be present in the grief and don't try and run away from it. And that's something that I was not comfortable doing. Um, I, I consider myself fairly emotionally intelligent, but, but to be in a place where, um, I didn't have control of what emotions suddenly rose to the surface and, and beat me over the head was difficult. And so I, I really struggled with sitting in my grief. And my mom was like, we, this is something that we need to sit in for a while and experience and share with each other. Um, and for me, the way that I, that I worked through that was I wrote that stuff down. I wrote down the dreams that I had. I wrote down the feelings that I had. I wrote down what I saw happening in other people. Um, and almost just had a dialogue within within myself that I just put on on the page, and found that to be very therapeutic in describing what I feel. And I went back and read it a couple of weeks ago, and there's stuff in there that I don't even remember happening that I wrote down. That this is I dreamed this thing, and then this thing happened, and um, and it was interesting to read it from a perspective of someone who was of myself who was in the thick of it. And now when I'm on the other side of it, where things aren't as dark. Um, how being present made a, made a difference in my ability to process it going forward. It's the longest silence so far. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes silence, silence is, is yeah, it's a great I'm thing. Very uncomfortable with silence. Really? Yes. There's this thing. Okay, this is what well, some of these are going to come up probably. But there, there was a psychology study done some time ago, um, decades, I believe, where a bunch of psychologists got together um, a load of people and paired them up. I be- they may have all been opposite-sex couples. Mm-hmm. These were total strangers. They had never met each other. And they paired them all up, and they gave them 36 questions. There are three sets of 12 questions that gradually increased in the level of vulnerability required to answer them. And at the end of the study, after they'd asked and answered these questions for each other, they were supposed to stare into each other's eyes for four minutes. Oh, geez. Not say anything, just look at each other's eyes. And I did this with somebody. I went on one date. (laughs) And this is what we did. We spent the evening going over all these questions. And then tried to do that last thing uh-huh. and look in each other's eyes, and we lasted maybe a minute. Yeah, no, yeah, there's no way. Yeah. E- even with Kanya, my high school sweetheart, we've been together for 20 years. I couldn't sit and look in her eyes for four minutes. I would be supremely uncomfortable. M- maybe maybe that's why you should, you should do it, Ty. Maybe I shouldn't. Especially after the conversation that results from these questions, maybe. which are really interesting. Um, yeah, sil- silence can be very hard to sit in. I think we shoot as like Hey, can you edit things out of this? I can because I'm about to pee my pants. It's funny to me that I can I could sit here. <laughs> Did you move my chair? You freaking joker. <laughs> well, I you should be a little bit closer to it. 
I was like, yeah. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you, the arm is kind of extended like pretty far, but you, yeah, out there and just face it. Did I mess up? Did we mess it up by no not having it close? <laughs> it's that funny up. that I can hear all of the individual sounds like flush the toilet, <laughs> turn the water on, turn the water off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Washing mm-hmm. hands, turn the water back on, drying, all that. I thought it was funny. It's weird the little rituals that I have. I had I read something when I was probably high school. Um, we always tend to do the same um, ritual progression in a shower or a bath, and they said try and mix it up and see what happens. And so I always I have always gotten soap, put it on my my scrubber, and I start on my stomach and then do my arms, you know. And, and I washed my hair first one time, and I was like, my whole day was off. It was the most bizarre thing, knowing that my, I started my day out differently than I always have. You should try it. No, I, I love that. I think it's great because one of, one of the questions that I like have in the back of my mind to ask people is uh, how you feel about change. Oh, it's the and, worst thing in the world. And uh, yeah, does it make you uncomfortable? Oh, 100%. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um I have I've always struggled with change. So so much so that Kanye in our in our marriage it has been a bone of contention for a long time. I there have been times where Kanye's been like, "Okay, here's the plan for the evening. This is what it looks like." And this is something we we do we've done ever since we were dating like, "Here's what the day looks like. Here's what tomorrow looks like." She's a planner, I'm not. In fact, we we're like polar opposites when it comes to planning i'm always it'll be fine we'll just figure it out as we go and she's like no i have to know exactly what's going to happen in the next five minutes so she would say here's the plan for the day and i would plan my day around that which at that point was generally what time do i start playing video games even on those nights when Kanye would say, hey, change of plans, this is happening now, even if it didn't have anything to do with video games, I would have such a hard time adjusting my my mentality to this new thing that I was just in a bad mood for the rest of the night. Didn't matter what time it started. I was just like, you don't understand. The night was planned like this. I'm a nine-wing one, so like things have order. Mm-hmm. Things things go a certain way because that's the way that God intended them. Anything else <laughs> is, is against natural law. Um, and so... Kanye has Kanye has developed, you know, we both have tried to meet in the middle. Kanye's developed a way from for her to to break the news to me that's like, hey, things might it might change a little bit. Um, I hope you're okay with that. And I have had to learn to be okay with that. And that's the way that things go, especially with kids. Yeah. Um, but change I've always struggled with change. Always. It's been very difficult for me to to know things are going to be a certain way, and then all of a sudden that they are not. What do you think that stems from? Probably some childhood trauma that I've buried deep within <laughs> my soul. I actually don't know. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting that you say it's hard for you to know that things are supposed to go a certain way or they're going to go a certain way and then they don't. Because mm-hmm. my perspective is it's impossible for me to ever know something is going to go a certain way. Yeah. Um, I think it's because as a third child um, out of four, so a middle kid, I was always subject to the whims of the older two kids. Mm. Not not because my parents were inconsiderate, but just because they had baseball and they had basketball and um we were that's what we were going to do. And so I never felt 
like I had a say in the control of my own schedule. And most kids don't, and I get that. Yeah. But if I wanted to stay home, I couldn't because I had to be where everyone else was or, or, or something. Um, and I think that some of it does stem from not childhood trauma, but just the, the state of my childhood of being a third kid, middle child, and things, I'm just along for the ride for the most part. And so now as an adult, when you get to dictate where the ride's going, you like the feeling of stability that comes from mm-hmm. knowing Though to be fair, I, I don't get to dictate very much. Yeah. Usually it's Kanye saying, this is what our day looks like. And yeah. I'm like, well, what if, but I, you get what to, if we but didn't? But you get to plan on doing it that way, though. <laughs> yes, that's true. And then true. expect it to happen that way. I get a quote-unquote say in what happens that yeah. day. Um, Kanye being the planner, she has a better idea of what needs to get accomplished, and I am just along for the ride. But now I get to choose to be along for the ride instead of being um, forced to be along for the ride. So there's that difference. That's so interesting to me because... I, I'm not good at planning. And when I think about being married to someone who is good at planning, I feel like it'll become my duty to be the balancing act for yeah. that. Because when things go to shit, I'm okay being like, all right, no, no, no it's fine. Yeah. Look, hey, just hold my hand or just, let's just, look, let's just sit here and realize that life is still going. Um, mm-hmm. I love being able to do that because I've like forced myself into situations that I didn't have a lot of control over at the time and kind of learned how to be okay with that. Yeah. And just a lot of different avenues my mind has gone down have um, change is beneficial to promoting those things. So the practice of meditation is I think easier to actually um, benefit you mm-hmm. when you have a lot of spontaneity in your life and when there is a lot of stuff out of your control because there are these constant reminders that the world doesn't function the way you want it to. Right. I use this as an example all the time because it's really easy, but like I haven't had a vehicle with proper AC in mm-hmm. quite a while. So in the summer when it's 95 degrees and I'm in the car if we've more than two minutes at a time that has been already sitting out in the sun. Yeah. It's the easiest thing to do is to get in the car and be driving and think, man, I'm really uncomfortable. The harder thing to do is to say, yeah, I'm uncomfortable right now. Sometimes I'm comfortable and sometimes I'm not. And it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I don't learn to enjoy that thing that is uncomfortable, yeah, I'm missing out because yeah. there's a bunch of things in life that are uncomfortable. So what if I just learn how to be in them and to be okay with it? And I'm much better at that than I was in the past and because change was not easy for me before. Um, Not having control was not easy or not feeling like there was a solid road laid ahead of me. So in my relationship with God, I kind of grew up being taught just ask God what he wants you to do and he'll tell you and then you can do that. Yeah, I send you a letter in the mail. Yeah, exactly. Step one. Or he'll just whisper in your ear when you're yeah. kneeling by your bedside because yeah. that's how God works for everybody, right? Um, <sighs> yeah. Yeah, and, and I didn't experience that, but I did get to this place where I became very uncomfortable not getting orders to follow. Hmm. Because that's easier, right? Just yeah. tell me what to do and I can obey. Right. But the answer to 
that that I think all of us learn is like, well, I can use you kind of anywhere, so why don't you choose? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, no, don't no. Don't give me responsibility. No, I don't want, no, you tell no, me what to do. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. Just oh, yeah. point the ship in a certain direction and say, this is the way you go. And when there's a stoplight, tell me, you know, Wait, Tell me when it turns Wait, green. Are you in a ship or a car? I've never seen stuff. I'm, I'm mixing analogies. I'm sorry. Well, I dig like, it. I think that's fantastic. New York 2077 is a book that I was reading, and there are stoplights in the water. It's oh, pretty cool. New York 2077? Mm-hmm. So is like New York going to sink and become like Venice? And the now... polar ice caps melted. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It was a real bad thing. And now society lives at like the upper floors of the skyscrapers yeah. in large cities? Yeah, it was a real bad thing. Wow. Man, I should write a book about that. Hmm. You you could. You definitely could. <laughs> I don't think I could. I have a problem with finishing things, so um, I might be able to start, but I, I couldn't I couldn't finish the story. Hmm. Anyway, do would you like to be more comfortable with change? I think that um whether I want to be or not, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to be. I mean all of us are gonna have to be. And so um learning learning to adjust. Um, like I said, Kanye, Kanye learning how to communicate better to me that change will happen and me being okay with that change, um, and learning how to take that in stride is, is I think just part of growing up. It's mm-hmm. part of getting older and understanding your role in not just society as a whole, but in relationships, how those work, this give and take. Um, you know, you can't have even friendships where one person is the dictator of what everything, you know, we're going to meet here and do this. And you don't ever have the opportunity to say, well, it's actually more convenient if we meet here, would that be okay? Um, you know, you have to, you have to be able to, to, to read the ebb and flow of how relationships work. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely the one that when things go awry, I'm the one that says, that's no big deal. We'll just do X, Y, Z. That's not a problem. But if, the plan was for this to happen and it was told to me and I didn't have a say in it. That's whenever it's difficult for me to adjust. Um, but if, but if like it's Kanye's thing or the kids, yeah, it's easy for me to be like, yeah, whatever. We'll just, we'll adjust. If we blow a tire driving down the road, it's like, yeah, well, I mean, that's fine. That's, that's stuff that happens. We'll figure it out. Um, the difference is when I didn't get a say on any, in anything that happened and that control, that ability for me to say things will be okay because I was part of the decision-making process, that's when things are hard for me. That's when change is hard for me. So if you could be driving down the road and be like, okay, now's a good time for the flat. Yeah. And it goes out, that would be better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. God, if we could have a flat between mile marker 46 and 47, that would be ideal thinking. I actually did have a, a blowout on the highway last year. Those are scary. Just north of St. Louis. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I was going up to visit family, and that's like about the halfway point, I think. And hmm. so I, either direction, I don't have a lot of help. You yeah. know, I'm kind of far from help either way. Um, but I'm so glad it happened to me. Yeah. Because I was, I was in the left lane, for one thing. And... Wow blew up and up to that point the car had just been vibrating a lot oh, and i just assumed it was because my axles were bad which they were sure. i thought yeah I, it's been vibrating for a long time i need to change <laughs> my axles normal. but it'll be okay yeah <laughs> and it kept getting worse 
And I thought, man, what is that? And then it blew, and it was very obvious what was going on. But it's not like it blew up, and all of a sudden my car like rolled onto its belly. Yeah. You know, um, it wasn't that dramatic. It was, oh, the tire blew up. It's obviously kind of riding on the rim now. I should move over onto the shoulder. <laughs> and I moved over onto the shoulder, and I got the jack out, and I lifted the car up, and I put the new, the spare on, which I had not checked, and was thank god was actually full of air and was able to get me to the walmart where i bought new tires but i loved the fact that it happened even in the moment because i got to see that it wasn't that bad it wasn't that big of a deal yeah and it's hard to have that perspective a lot of time because especially i think with anticipating things makes them worse yeah if you start thinking about what if my tire blows up at hour one and you've got eight hours left to go mm-hmm. and you're wondering that whole time if it's going to happen that's going to make it yeah that's going to make it horrible yeah but if you're just cruising along you know talking to yourself and then it happens and you just have to deal with it mm-hmm. it's fine um one of the issues i've always had is that i think about things a lot and often they're things that i one don't have any control over and two don't know that they're going to happen anyways but the fact that I think about them that much makes me just work myself up into a state of anxiety. Yeah. And that's not helpful for me. And it's not helpful for the people involved in the situation either. Um, often it's related to just conversations with people or I'll use that as an example because that's an easy one, like conversations with people. I can be sitting in a coffee shop and see somebody who for whatever reason I want to talk to them, they have a camera on the table with them or they have a dog that I'd like to pet or they were just having a conversation about coffee that I thought was really interesting and I want to interject too. For whatever reason, as soon as I get the urge to talk about it with them, I start thinking of reasons why I shouldn't (laughs) and why it's such a scary thing to do. And the longer I sit there, the worse that gets until I just say, I just kind of like take it and I put it to the side and say, no, it doesn't matter. And I just could do it. And then it's easy. Then none of those anxieties have any effect. Have you seen the movie We Bought a Zoo? I have not. There's this line in there that um, that I've used every uh, every now and then in my life where he is telling the story of how he met his wife, um, who, spoiler alert, dies at the very beginning of the movie. That's not really a spoiler. Oh, okay. Um, But he said um, his dad told him you need 20 seconds of courage, and that's it. You don't need any longer than that. If you just want to ask her out, you just need 20 seconds of courage. Anybody can do something for 20 seconds. And there have been times in my life where I don't tend to take advice from pop culture movies and be like, oh, that applies to everything. But that was a that was an interesting thing that was like, you know, that's, that's very true and can apply to a lot of areas in life. All you need mm-hmm. is just to make the decision. I'm just going to make the decision to do X, Y, Z. Um, and... And that's that's one reason why I, I was able to finish a book because I was like, I just need to have the, the courage to start. I'm just going to start writing. And Is then, it out? No. Uh, I'm no. still querying. Uh, when will it be out? Whenever Here someone says this is good enough to publish. Oh, okay. I don't know. I don't okay. know. I've been querying for three months. Does it already have a title? Yes. What is it? called The Bench. The Bench. Okay, yeah, I know of this. So for those listening in the future, go pick up The Bench by... Is is Ty Carlson your pen name? That's what's on there? Yeah. It's not Tyrell. 
You didn't put Not Tyrell. Tyrell. <laughs> Tyrell no, Kaiser. by Ty Carlson. When I'm rich and famous, then I maybe maybe I'll go by Tyrell. But... Yeah, Ty for now is fine. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I I assumed I think when I met you, if I didn't learn it very quickly, that I probably assumed that your name was Tyler. Yeah, which I can't even imagine now. I can't I imagine you as a Tyler. Yeah, yeah. Being a Tyrell has has provided some fun opportunities with with people that don't know that I'm white. I'm very white, and I <laughs> dance like a white person. I had a friend at, at work. Well, actually, Stevie and Reggie, who came to um, community group with us, she, um, we talked back and forth, and she thought that as Tyrell, married to Kanye, that we were black, and um, and she met, and I was like, "Hi, I'm Ty," and she was like, well, "You're Tyrell? Like you're Tyrell Carlson?" I was like, "Yeah." She was like, "Oh, well, my boyfriend is black, and I've been telling him that you've been black." I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> nope, I'm very white. I'm sorry. But now Reggie and I are like really good friends. And yeah. it's, it's funny because he jokes about that all the time. Mm-hmm. How Tyrell and Kanye were definitely not who they expected us to be. <laughs> oh, man. That's great. Yeah. So we talked, we've talked quite a bit about grief. Yeah. Um, to lighten it up, what's something that brings you a lot of joy or something that quiets your soul, mm-hmm. as I like to say to people sometimes? Yeah. Um, I, hands down it's writing really yeah i've told kanya that um kind of in the middle of the pandemic before the pandemic i would write up in bentonville there's this place called the holler and he Mm -hmm. and another place called hero coffee yep and that's where i finished the bench was at hero coffee and um it was i told kanya that was the place where not not the actual place but while i'm writing I've never felt so not at peace, um, but just so enriched in what was happening. And during the pandemic, it was harder to find that time. In fact, I've written less in the last year than I have in the last than I did in the year before that. And you would think it would be different, but at home with four kids, there doesn't provide a lot of time. All right. And being and trying to write in the same place where your dad and husband and um, employee for a while is was difficult, mm-hmm. but writing hands down is something that I feel washes my, my mind and my emotions and and my soul a little bit. It just kind of cleanses it. And I don't, I won't say purify it. That sounds a little too hoity toity, but it makes it to where the day isn't so much confined to everything that I experienced that day. So Uh in the bench, writing the story of Evan and Meredith or um, the other one that I've been working on the story of those two characters and, and, it makes it to where I am not confined to the events that happened that day. Um, writing about dad and the grief that I felt and the dreams that I had, I was no longer, um, those things were no longer rattling around inside my head. I was able to, to give them life and, and put them on paper and let them breathe. And I think that that was really valuable for helping me pro, um, process my grief. Um, yeah, it was... It was strange to feel, it, it was a strange comparison to the way that I felt before I wrote down my grief and after, because th- it was still there. It just it felt um, like it wasn't confined to me anymore. It was something that's, that other people could experience if they needed to, and, and I think that gave it a little bit more um, power, I guess. I don't know, it's hard. Kind of like hard. when Obi-Wan is struck down. You know, if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you could ever imagine. imagine. Yeah. 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 
Oh, Obi-Wan. Would you strike this down a little bit? Just so, yeah, I can't see most of your face. There I like, you go. I like it hiding. <laughs> like to be able to hide, hide behind <laughs> that. Yeah. That's so interesting to me because I've always enjoyed writing. But often because I'm so hypercritical and perfectionist. Um, is that how you would say it? I'm not. I'm very perfectionist. That doesn't make sense, does it? I am a perfectionist um, experiencing perfectionism. Okay. That's what I would say. I I was I was like that at first when I first started riding the bench. Um, not to shameless plug it. That's just what I'm going to talk about. But um, I... I had to get over the fact that I wasn't good at it at first. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like, it wasn't good writing. There were lots of times that I would read something and be like, Oh, that's it. That is just bad writing. Highlight and delete. Um, I had to get over the fact that I was going to be my harshest critic. And so I would, um, I just had to get into the mentality that I'm just going to put, I'm just going to write everything down on the page. I'm mm -hmm. just going to write it down. And if it's bad, fine, that's fine. I'm going to edit it. I'm not going to submit crap work to, for someone to read and be like, no, this is good writing because I wrote it. Don't you know who I am? It's crap work, right? But I had to get it down on the paper. I could refine it later, but I had to get it down. And it was the same thing with grief. And last year at this time, actually, I was reminded of it at church on Sunday when Charlie was talking about the wise men and, and their role in society. I had written just a real short story about about the three wise men and I had just made it up and it was something that helped me kind of get my creative juices flowing to work on something else. But I, it's not amazing, but I had to get it down. I had to get it out of my head. Otherwise I'd forget it. And I didn't want to forget it. It was, it was worth the time to me to put it on the page. And I'm glad that I did because now I go back and, and read what I wrote um, about the wise men or about, um, about the bench and I, and I see where I was at emotionally at that time in my life, and it was just the last couple of years, but um, uh, so much of it plays into where, uh, where I was emotionally and how I wrote that, and, and uh, there's grief in the bench, a lot of it, and so I was able to tie that in, and I can, I can feel kind of how visceral it was at that time and that's good for me to be able to see that and then feel how I feel today and, and compare the two and say, it was very, very hard then. And it's just a little hard now. That's good. Yeah. I've, I've not experienced that with my writing. I suppose with journals I have. Yeah. I have a journal that has been with me since early last year. So through a very wow. tumultuous time, it's not full quite yet. But um, I can look back at that. And it's different than a lot of the things I wrote early on. I, I don't have any journals other than that. I had some that were just so very adolescent hmm. in the way that I was expressing things and what I was saying um, that they made me sick and I <laughs> threw them all out. <laughs> That's <laughs> um, fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't regret it. Honestly, I don't care. But the ones I have now, when I read, I can understand and identify those things that I was feeling, and I can, I can admit their validity without still sitting and steeping in it all. Yeah. I can understand what I was going through, and I can see the, progress, the, the progress that has happened since then. Not that where I was was wrong. Mm -hmm. It was just a different place, and I like being able to see 
that place. I like being able to look back and see that's where I was and that's what I was experiencing. And through that experience, I've come to where I am now. And yeah. if I'm thankful for where I am now, I have to be thankful for where I came from. Yeah. Um, I listened to this podcast called the Bema podcast. Have you heard of this? Yes, I have actually. Yeah. Have you listened to it? No. You need to listen to it. I will. But anyway. I'm, I'm gonna make you feel like I'll a, put it on I'm my list. make you feel like a bad Christian oh, if you don't listen to it. Do. Yeah, that's I, I that find feeling. the best way. Other than like physically smacking people mm-hmm. with holy scriptures, mm-hmm. I find shaming the best way to. Yeah, well, it's worked for generations, so why not keep? It? Yeah, let's. Yeah, and we're not gonna talk about what it means to work, but anyway, there's this podcast called <laughs> it's called the Beba Podcast, B E M A, and mm-hmm. um, Marty Solomon, who's the host on it, was talking about standing stones and what they were. Mm in ancient cultures and what they were was a blank stone there wasn't any writing on it there wasn't anything to tell you what it was for why it was there it was a stone that you had to remember so that it was set up in such a way that if you walked past that you had to ask somebody why is this here so that they could tell the story Hmm. and he was saying how he thinks that we don't have enough standing stones in our lives these days we have plenty of things that we hold on to mm-hmm. that we don't know why, but not that much stuff that we have in our lives because they mark a significant period of time or a significant event that happened, and we want to be able to remember that thing. Um, I felt slightly convicted as a minimalist and as someone who deliberately gets rid of things all the time yeah. because I don't have any of that. I don't have. I don't have anything really any kind of possession and anything I can look at that makes me remember where I've been other than something very intentional and, and obvious like a journal where I can read the words that I was thinking. Um, and I agree with him. I think, I think we could stand to remember where we come from a lot of the time. Another point he was making, I listened to an episode today about, one of the numerous reasons why the God of the Bible chooses the lowly, right, mm. is because it's a lot easier for the person who started out in that low place to remember where they've come from yeah. than the people who have always had it maybe kind of easy or have always been in a position of privilege and who were then put in another position of privilege by God for them to look back and have the humility to do things well is much harder than the person who came from the gutter mm-hmm. and who remembers what they were and how much help they needed and now is in a place where yeah. they feel like God has raised them up. Yeah. You know, the very typical exalting of the humble and humbling of the exalted. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So you should listen to the podcast. It's Maybe good. I will. Maybe I will, you jerk. <laughs> you don't have to, though, because I, I don't like... You know, when people, there's, there's, there's a lot on our plates. We've all got a lot going on in life. And often I think people come to us and be like, man, you've got to experience or do yeah. this or that, right? Yeah. And they really sell it. And you feel like out of guilt. You're like, I, I have to, right? Yeah. Like I have to partake in, at some level. And I can't say no. Yeah. And I can't just say, no, I don't want to. Yeah. I'm trying to get better at saying, no, I don't want to. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. It 
Maybe. Maybe it's really bad for Maybe me. Maybe you'll get beaten up. Maybe I will. It depends on who asks me to do the thing, <laughs> I guess. If he's very scary looking yeah, and just he agree. tells me I have to. Just do what he says. And he gives me that look like he's mm-hmm. really he's really focusing yeah, on my look. Like, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. You I know promise. what? Actually, I was just thinking I need one more thing to do. So thank you for providing oh, that. Oh, yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Okay. Moving on, we we do have some questions we're oh, gonna go over. Once these... I once I pass the like two hour mark, I try to be conscious and think, okay, I should oh, I wow. should ask some of the. Well, are these submitted by your listeners? They are not they? yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, these were yes. these came into yes, of course wow. they are. These came into my mind over a course of months of me contemplating what I wanted this podcast to be. And then Brandy Harris kind of helped me go through them a little oh, bit cool. too and, and think more about how I might want to reword them. Yeah. So one of them was, I had asked you already, you know, how do you feel about change and what's something that brings you joy? Um, I hate, and I probably, I don't want to say probably always will. I don't like to, how do I know what I'm going to be, right. be tomorrow, you know? Currently, I do not enjoy being in this kind of a situation, talking to someone and then reading off of something else yeah. in order to continue the conversation. But I'm going to read some things now. Okay, I can't wait. Um, we talked about change. Ooh, I like this one a lot. For your sake, mm-hmm. which you've done a really good job of like moving things off to talking about other people and doing, you know, okay. right. being maybe less introspective than I would like you to be. <laughs> For your sake, what's something that you wish people understood about you? Oh, man. Oof. Oh, hang on. Let me unlock my heart box real quick and think. <laughs> Can something? we make some key noises? Mm-hmm. I could add some in later. but <laughs> um, Something that people should understand about me. I think that... Um, I am... Deeply emotional. And will not always show that. I'm generally the happy-go-lucky, not self-proclaimed light-up-the-room kind of a guy. Social butterfly, always up for meeting new people, 100%. Yes, this is an awkward situation, and I'm going to point out that it's an awkward situation. And then we don't have to, it doesn't have to be awkward anymore because we both acknowledged the elephant in the room. Um, but that... Um, I, I am feeling things much deeper than, than I'm letting on. When dad died, I didn't like being around everyone that was crying. It was like, this is uncomfortable for me. Everybody is so sad. I am sad also, but I can't be, I can't be just one of the people crying. I'm going to be the one that's not crying. So I was. I was the one that wasn't crying. When mom and dad were talking before dad died about him not taking, gosh, I can't believe that was in just this year, of him not doing treatment and everyone was crying, I was the one not crying. I was like, yeah, this really sucks, but we'll be fine. Things will be fine. Um, and so for me, I think it is that that my emotions, um, they run very deep and and I, and I know how to identify them and I'm not necessarily comfortable expressing them always. But there's, you know, like a duck, calm on the surface, but underneath, just the feet are just going and going and going. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. That's a good thing to keep in mind. 
Yeah. And as someone who, meaning you, who's obviously very humorous, you have a Thank you. very evident sense of humor. Um, I'm sure that you probably recognize that that's sometimes a way of like hiding 100%. behind hiding other things. Absolutely. Which I think is great. I mean, to a certain point, I understand that too. Like I, I have a very dark sense of humor often mm-hmm. and maybe that's just because I find lots of things funny and maybe it's because I'm actually genuinely upset by something and I'm yeah. trying. I don't want other people uh, to get upset. Well, I want to die. I can't wait. I yeah. Yeah. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, oh yeah, uh, I mean, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, I, I will use humor one hundred percent of the time to get out of an awkward situation because because it's so much easier to laugh than cry. And when you're laughing, then you're not thinking about being sad. I mean, unless you know, like you're crying and laughing, in which case you're just an abomination. So, I like those people who cry when they laugh. No, 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 no. Those are two separate emotions. Keep them separate. Heathen you. I, I, it, it, it's, it's one of those times like where mom is describing this happened the other night when we were at mom's, um, describing one of the things that dad did that was funny and then it being confirmed within the conversation that we're talking about. And mom is very, obviously very sad, but then is laughing about it. It makes me very uncomfortable. I've, of course I can't voice that. No one needs to know how I feel, but I was just kind of, but we want to know how you feel. Well, that's how I felt. I was uncomfortable because it's, it's. Emotion is so raw. It's it's the bearing of one's hidden self, and that is, um, not not improper. That's not what I'm trying to say. It's but it's accepted that everyone keeps that to themselves, right? I don't accept that. Kanya doesn't either. She cries about everything. Bless her heart. She cries when she's angry. She cries when she's happy. She cries when she's sad. She cries whenever she's upset. She cries whenever she can't find the words to describe the way that she feels. Um, and so she's very emotional and, and that for me is difficult because I'm not a super emotional person. Um, and so it's, there's a lot of like, I know this, I'm, this is really hard. And with dad dying, it was very difficult for her. And so there's times where she just suddenly, you know, on Thursday, she said, this would have been a day that I would have invited Poppy over for tea. It's rainy, it's cold. He would have loved to come over. Mm-hmm. And And then she started crying. And so... That then, then we get into the, I know, this is really sad. I'm sorry that he's gone. And there's comforting. For the first few days after dad died, I, uh, probably actually the first couple of weeks, I had to comfort her. And it was easier for me to do that than for me to tell her I'm really hurting. And that was a conversation that we ended up having. Um, it was like, I, I feel like I can't tell you how I'm feeling because you're just as upset as I am. And and I don't like showing my emotions and you are much freer with yours. And so I end up comforting you. And when I am being emotional about me missing dad, I don't want to be comforted necessarily. I don't, um, I don't want to end up having to comfort you either. And so, so she was like, Oh, I just thought it's because you didn't want to talk to me about it. It's like, no, I just don't want to talk to anybody about it. I don't want to feel what I'm feeling. You know, these, these emotions are hard to navigate. So yeah, well, that was a, that was an interesting conversation that we had. Hmm. I thought of a really good question, I think, while you were talking, which makes me feel bad because I don't like thinking of other things while people are talking because no, it means I'm not listening well. No, that's fine. And I forgot the question anyways. Fantastic. <laughs> so it was just Not only all did you reveal that you weren't listening, but yeah, it didn't, didn't amount yeah. to anything. <laughs> Brandy and I had a conversation about this, about listening, about 
how difficult it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe more so for some than others. I think it's it's very difficult for me. It's always been difficult for me. Not not to use it as an excuse. It's just the way that I am. But genuinely, it's it's always been difficult for me to not be thinking of what I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, I'm listening to respond. I'm not listening right. to hear you. You're not actively listening. You're listening for your turn. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I've noticed that it's a practice. That it, mm. it, as much as talking is intentional, listening is intentional. Yeah. Especially maybe when maybe the type of person I am that makes this difficult is that I have a very overactive mind. And so I think all the time. The reason I've never slept well I've never been able to go to sleep well is because as soon as I lay down, I'm thinking about all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I know people say, yeah, the the best way to, you know, get to sleep well, just lay down and put aside the things you think, you know, just relax. Don't think about this thing yeah, anymore. Just like, how do you do that. do that? Just do that. My dad will lay down and literally, I'm not even joking. When I use the word literally, I actually mean that word within 30 seconds can be asleep. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. That's, that is I um I think having having to listen you've got to practice doing it and it's so much internal monologue of like no don't say that no just listen what are they saying that a lot mm-hmm. of times I repeat what the person is saying in my own head because otherwise I I don't remember it and I'm busy thinking of like, ooh, I should say this after he's done talking. And so like you're you're constantly like on the edge of your seat waiting, waiting. Mm-hmm. Is he done yet? Is he done yet? No, he's done. I can go. Yeah. And so, it's always been a worry of mine as well as, well, if I think of something good to respond to, what if I forget it? I know. Before I have an opening. And then what am I going to do? I'm going to look like an idiot. <laughs> I don't have a response. That's what's really idiot. important here. Yeah. Yeah. How, do I how look? you look. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's how everybody views it. Yeah. yeah. I can't look like an idiot in front of this person I barely even know. Are you kidding? I love that you mentioned how, and I've witnessed this in you, you like to point out how awkward a situation is. Mm-hmm. Um, verbally, like just say, man, this is awkward. I've yeah. seen you do that. And I think that's a great piece of advice. Because again, it's never as bad as you think it's going to be. Uh, and also I think my generation is probably very uncomfortable with awkwardness. We don't really know what to do. Yeah. We we're not okay accepting that it's there, but we're not we don't know how to move past it. So we kind of just are awkward all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um so for those listening, like take this as a challenge. Next time you're afraid of doing something because you think it'll be really awkward, just go up to that person because you, let's be honest, we're probably all thinking about times when we wish we would talk to somebody. Go up to the person and just say, man, this is really awkward. Or, you know, however you can put that in the conversation. Saying that is literally the best way to do it. Yeah. I, I mean, just I start there right away. It, look, I know this is awkward, but is a good, it's a good, good icebreaker because you're acknowledging that this is not a normal circumstance. Not for you and not for them. It's just awkward. So let's get over, let's get over the fact that it's awkward and just get to, you know, whatever we're trying to get accomplished. If you're locked in an elevator with somebody, get over the awkwardness and I don't know. I don't know what happens in locked elevators. I've never been in one. I, I think people make out or something. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Guy or girl. It's like, that's the rule. You're locked in an elevator. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I'm gay now. I thought you were supposed to mark your corner and 
Oh, well, maybe that. Yeah. Because okay. you don't know how long it's going to be locked. That's true. Well, isn't that why people take their clothes off in the elevators? Because they don't know how long they're going to be in there. I feel like this conversation has gone off the rails. It's now at the bottom of the lake. That's fine. Fair enough. I don't have any expectation of what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. It, it did make me think of a interaction that in hindsight I thought was awkward, but in the moment I didn't realize it was. Yeah. And it was, I was with you. You probably remember this. This. Um, I was at, we were at Onyx in Springdale. Okay. We were at the table in the middle that's like the slab there. Yeah. And we were just catching up, I think. I had my camera on the table as I often do. And the waitress and commented on yes. it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I the girl came over who worked didn't there. Didn't she invite you to a show or something? She did. Well, I didn't see it as an invite. You did. But she, we had no reason to be helped by somebody working there. And she came over and interrupted my yes. interaction with you to talk about my camera. Like, oh, that's a really yeah. cool camera and these things and telling me about house shows and stuff. And she was sweet on you. She was, she was lovely, but I wasn't thinking about that because she walked away and I remember turning you. I'm like, I do have a cool camera. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, little I love when people do that. Joel. And you're like, Joel, she was flirting with you. It was really, it was. I and and was you broke down how this was her invitation to a house show and she was figuring out if you like shooting these things. And I thought, wow, I didn't see any of that. Yeah. That comes from many many interactions with many people i'm just kidding i've had one person that i've ever kissed in my life and i'm married to her so yeah but you've observed a lot of people i have observed i think that's given me the opportunity to observe people because there's no like romantic interest outside of my marriage Mm -hmm. so i get to see the way people interact and be like wow that that guy is really awkward it's so funny his name is joel yeah i think i'm much better now (laughs) you are you are i will credit you that oh thank you yeah a lot of people have told me that I'm better now than I was before. Aw. Do you keep track? Yeah. Is that is that in your journal as well? Yeah. You Dear see diary, how many photos there are on the wall? That's for that that. less awkward. Yeah. No, not necessarily less awkward. Oh. But just better at accepting it. Well good. I mean that's Which you're gonna maybe, grow in some maybe. area, grow in that area. Yeah. There's nothing more important than learning how awkward you are. Okay. No, there, there was actually, there's somebody I always think of when I think about being awkward versus being cool, however you want to view that kind of spectrum. Yeah. His name was Nick, and I worked with him at the hospital, my first job in the kitchen. And he was very cool in the sense that nothing, nothing phased him, really. Um, I remember one time being in the dishroom, and we used regular, like, ceramic dishes and things. We didn't use disposable stuff unless we had to. And I remember him carrying a load of plates and dropping them by accident. And just kind of shrugging his shoulders and walking away. And probably getting, maybe maybe not even getting a broom to sweep it up. But, but just shrugging it off, essentially. Mm. And how nobody really reacted. Because he didn't react. And as a barista for, you know, three years, I got to see that a lot too, especially with Starbucks. Because the temptation when things feel overwhelming is to look overwhelmed. 
Yeah. And as soon as you do, everything else starts to be really overwhelming. Mm. Um, so I would tell baristas when I would train them, like, look, the people on the other side of the counter don't care how fast you get their drink done as long as you're chill for the most part. As soon as you're losing your cool and they can see the barista behind the bar sweating and being overwhelmed yeah. and his eyes are too big and he's looking <laughs> around at the crowd, like they're getting now, oh, why am I, you know, this is kind of, this is uncomfortable. Is he I, doing that with my drink? Yeah, is that, like, is he putting any attention to that thing or is he just thinking about all of us out here? It's good advice. Like, being calm, whatever's happening, I do think that's important. Yeah. And... I think it can be very hard to learn how to do that. I didn't learn how to do it until I had probably my fourth kid. And I will say that it is a boon in any relationship, whether friendship, marriage, father-son, father-daughter, whatever, because when, prime example, today, I got home and Kip, our two-year-old, is crying, no, not crying, wailing on our bed. And... um Kanye says, I walk in, she's got somewhere to go. So she was like, okay, this is the situation. This is what's going on in the house right now, right? She gives me the, the three bullet points of what, I, what I'm walking into. And she said, okay, so Kip, um, Kip and Ellie are arguing about the magnet tiles. I divided them equally and Kip threw them all on the floor and began to wail and scream while Ellis picked hers up and started playing. And, and then, then that's where we are right now. The boys are outside playing nicely. I was like, okay, okay, cool. So I go into the bedroom and of course it helps not uh, it helps being uh, the other parent coming in when Kanye's been dealing with the kids the entire day she also has started she actually was very calm but being maybe lose their cool the kids are used to mom getting on to them or mom being the one that they're addressing so dad comes in and now it's like I'm the cool guy and so I just approached him real calmly I was like what's going on why don't you tell me and he in his little two-year-old way told me what happened and so then we went to the counter and I, and I set all the magnetiles up there and I said, okay, Ellie, you take the, the triangles and Kipton will take the squares and we're going to divide them into two different piles and then you get this pile and you get this pile. And so we did that and everybody was happy for like four and a half minutes. And then Kipton took one of Ellis's and Ellis got mad at Kipton. And so then they were arguing. And so I just walked real calmly over there and I said, what's going on? This isn't, this isn't how we act. You know, this isn't it's what's happening. Well, he took mine and, and then... Kip, she took mine kind of a thing. And eventually it just got to the point where I had to set them in two different rooms because they just, every single thing, they were picking on each other. But had I approached that situation in in a way that was mirroring their anxiety or their frustration, there wouldn't have been any resolution. Mm-hmm. I would have been frustrated. And mm-hmm. so not, I'm not that calm of a dad all the time. But approaching a situation whenever you're able to to remove the emotion out of it when Finley, Mr. Four, is feeling very big things and he's screaming because things are unfair and it's unjust and it's not right, you can say, well, I understand, but you can't act the way you're acting now. Or you can't, it's not fair to mom and I for you to be yelling at us when you're feeling frustrated at this or at them. You can apologize to him when you're calm. Right now you need to just focus on calming down or whatever, you know? Otherwise, we're just adding fuel to the fire, whatever the fire is. So being calm, approaching someone, something calm, removing your own emotional investment from it, that's, I think that's a skill that people should build. Yeah. Really. I mean, especially this day and age, whenever if you 
if anybody disagrees with you, it feels like you get your throat ripped out. So mm-hmm. just, it's cool. Let's just be chill. Unless they're actually ripping your throat out, you're probably going to be fine. If they're In doing case, that, you should try to scream and yeah. do something. I mean, you don't have long to live at that point anyway. So freak out if you want to. Be calm if you want to. You've got seconds left. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I think it's, obviously this doesn't apply as much with small children, but it, I've witnessed that people seem intrinsically to be more okay following the person who's calm. Mm -hmm. There's something about the calm person in the room that makes you look toward them. Yeah. Um, I've experienced this numerous times, both as the not calm person and as the calm person. And as someone who really genuinely enjoys helping people, I love when I do get that opportunity to be the calm one and see somebody trust me enough to ask my help in the situation. Yeah. Because then, then it's just a ripple effect too. And now they get to see, oh, when I'm calm, I, I, this is so helpful. I can incorporate that more into my life now. Yeah. Um, I should be more like Joel. He's wonderful. Oh, isn't he? Like, yes. I've, I've yeah. always liked Joel. I think that all the time. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, let's ask another question because yeah. I'm finding it really difficult to like keep one train of thought going with you and i don't know why the thing is maybe because we already know each other well and i'm probably I, yeah i i'm just used to we can dispense with the pleasantries and just yeah, get yeah let's to the just fun. get over this i was about to swear again yeah i can't believe you did that there will be swearing naughty, naughty on this child. podcast oh, um well shit i i don't think <laughs> i guess we shouldn't show this to my mom i don't think this is i don't think that word warrants an explicit rating right um, the f word does yeah well i don't i don't know how they rate the i don't podcasts. either i get to choose a rating in squarespace when i upload it to Interesting. though so that will probably carry over anyway you could probably bleep that out no there's no bleeping there's there will not be any censoring in this but i will i will ahead of time rate things as yeah. explicit when you do they were they were also F-words. say there are two s words in this one <laughs> yeah as your rating yeah i will maybe i've thought of it because the last episode, they were definitely F-words. Unbelievable. I know. I'm a bad Christian. You I'm probably gonna, you. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to burn forever. <laughs> In holy fire. Um, ooh, some, some of these are big. Ooh, I like oh, I, I, I want to ask this one because I just thought of it today. All right. All right. Let's hear it. What do you do? And why is that different from who you are? typically right you meet somebody yeah hey i'm ty this is well okay what do you do this is what i do okay yeah. cool this is what i do yeah 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 you meet guys tend to do that uh, guys will immediately settle into talking about work mm-hmm. often about roads we talk a lot about i've noticed that roads maybe yeah, but, like yeah. like what are you what are your thoughts on 49 south man yeah that's my favorite road <laughs> no but like oh man traffic between like oh, it's like the, exits it's the new weather 72 and yeah. uh 64 that whole stretch really i've never been a fan of that stretch no no i've noticed that people do that but um sports think work yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, safe topics movies yeah yeah Guys tend because you don't want to break out like, hey, yeah, my name's Ty. Um, I struggled. I've struggled with anger and resentment for uh, over a decade now, and I I don't know really how to handle it, and I'm spiraling out of control. (laughs) 
you open with that. And but what if you did? Problems. Well, you wouldn't have friends. That's what would yeah, happen. Yeah, well. Because people will be like, wow, okay. Well, he's, I'll I, prove you wrong, He's Ty. expecting me to share my deepest, darkest secret now, and I'm just not comfortable with that. Um, well, what I do is I call banks and ask them if they want to upgrade their software. And if you called and asked me, I would tell you yes. I mean, I, I get yes not very often. I usually don't get anyone to answer <laughs> Because it's because you're calling people who are busy all day long, and we also have this thing that we call the princess phone, that automatically reroutes phone calls um, that are not uh, that we shouldn't be getting. Yeah. So that we don't get them. Yeah. I whenever I say, "Hey, this is Ty Carlson with Tesla Software," and I was calling to speak with blah blah blah. Okay, and does he know? Does he know that you're calling? Instead of saying no, I'm always calling to follow up an email that I sent. So I always say, I was calling to follow up on this email that I sent yesterday. I was curious if you'd read it. Okay. Who are you with? And at that point, I know I'm going straight to voicemail. Usually I'm right. <laughs> it won't ring. It'll just be like, hi, this is blah, blah, blah with blah, blah, blah. Uh, leave a message. You know. And so I do. I do my whole spiel. But that's what I do. And I like I like it. I like it a lot. I like talking to people. Um, right now, I'm, I'm showing people what our software looks like and that's really enjoyable because i'm talking one-on-one with either one person or several people at the bank and highlighting how what our what our software does will help streamline what they currently do how that's different is um i i don't i don't care what i don't care what you do during your day um what i really do care about is what are you like i would much rather call people and be like what's your what's your favorite buddy the elf what's your favorite favorite color? color exactly um, or, or really talk to people about what, you know, what are you, what are you struggling with right now? And even though I don't, I'm not comfortable with my own emotions, I'm very comfortable talking with other people about theirs. And I think that that comes from me being able to, um, avoid my own or project my own even. And I don't think an unhealthy way, but just sometimes it helps me process, oh, this person talked about it in this way. I wonder if I can apply that to my own life. Um, I wanted to be a marriage counselor whenever I was in college, but that didn't pan out. And so who I am is someone that I feel very deeply and um, I care very deeply about people. And I'm, I'm lucky because I married someone who also cares very deeply about people. And so the, what I do, while it might, it might be um, seen as, as a sales position, and it is, the goal that I always have is to make whatever I'm doing important to you because I care about you as a person. So if your day can be easier by what I'm selling, yes, 100% I'm on board. Good. So if people who you are just meeting would ask you that question, who are you instead of what do you do? Mm -hmm. Would you prefer that? I think I would prefer not, not a, who are you? Um, mostly because I would make a joke out of it and you know, me, I'm very funny, self-proclaimed funniest man in the world. Um, but because I, I would almost rather them, them say, um, "What do you like to do?" or "Or what do you do for fun?" or something that's more personal. I don't. I I talk shop with with other guys because it's it's safe and it's normal, um, and mostly because I don't want to make other people uncomfortable. So I will I, I will match that level of intimacy that whatever's there um but to have someone ask 
something that digs to layer two of you as a person. Mm-hmm. I think that that those are the kind of conversations and those are the kind of people that I enjoy having conversations with. There are people that immediately do go to like level three and I don't like talking to them. Oh, I'm sorry. No, there are people that are like, so what's God doing in your life right now? And that's that's like the opening. Uh-huh. I don't, I don't want to talk about what I talk to God about with you. That's something, you know. I'm the guy who's sitting in coffee shops waiting for people to come up and ask him that question. Yeah. It's like, yeah. what? what's your greatest struggle in life? Yeah. Tell me, hi, my name is Ty Carlson. What's your deepest, darkest secret? Here's yeah. mine. Yeah. I, no, I, I want to, I don't want to be surface level, but I don't want to be um, pillow pals. I would mm-hmm. be somewhere in the middle where we can eventually get down to like the, the needy greedy needy greedy needy, that's on on nacho libre you know <laughs> let's get down to the needy. I, I, I haven't seen that movie in oh, quite a while man. that's so it, so good it's a good one i i would like to watch it again soon you should yeah now it's, it's interesting though because um i do when when people one of the reasons i'm doing this is because I know this is something I do want to be doing. I want to be the person deliberately having these conversations all the time. Yeah. For me, like I can go in and I ha- I had a great time at work today. I can enjoy the people I work with, enjoy my job. I know it's not what I want to be doing. I don't want to be for a living having transactional conversations right and i recognize that you bring everything that you are to that job and you can make a difference and that's a beautiful thing but that's not to say well therefore you should just settle for anything you're doing because you can bring who you are to that thing right where you are right now great bring all that you are but figure out what you want to do yeah and for the past year when people would ask me in conversation what do you want to do i just look at them and say this is what i want to do I just want to talk to people. I love talking to people. I love to have the opportunity to say, what is something that's hurt you? Yeah. And this is a place where you can say that safely and mm-hmm. we can talk about it honestly and and know that other people get to listen to this and I know it's going to be helpful for them. Like yeah. I said, I haven't talked to a single person who has had anything negative to say about this idea everybody's encouraging just made a new friend the other day at a coffee shop no surprise Um, there yeah no surprise for me um and mentioned to her because she was asking me like what i was doing because i had been in there on saturday and working on my computer and i was in there again on sunday she's like so yeah so what you were doing over there and i was like well i was i did have a podcast that i'm starting and i was putting together episode one making sure it's all set up and you know getting things sorted out and she's like oh great tell me about that Hmm. and we talked about a little bit and she's excited that's cool. I love that people are getting so excited about it. When I tell people I want to interview normal average people and have them tell their story and listen to them, they're like, wow, that's a good idea. I'd listen to that. Yeah. Um, you can call it the average Joel, unless you already have the average it. Joel. No, it doesn't have a name. It's called Uncommon People. Oh, I And like un, un is in parentheses. Ah, that's clever. Yeah. That's yeah. very millennial of you. I it, like it. I know, right? It's, it's, it's a very relevant design. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm happy about it. And and the the handle on Instagram was available. So that, that's really important. Hot dog. That well, is. with a period. With unperiod common people, which is perfect because the, the un is in parentheses anyway. Yeah. So that gives it a little bit of a separation there. Thank goodness. Um, 
I know. It would be so confusing without that period. Yeah. <laughs> Let's ask another question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's keep going. Hit me with it. Um. Oh, this was another one I thought of recently. Is there something in your life that you pursued because you believed it was important for you to do so? Hmm. Okay, so believed it was important to do so for my well-being or what? How are we gauging the importance of it? Or is that the question? All right, fair enough. Yeah, was it important for you? So... I, um, so I'll go back to writing it as a dad of four with a full-time job and a wife and, um, everything that, and just being present for the people in my life, adding another thing on that may not ever bring in any kind of financial benefit was difficult for me to commit to, but I really felt like this story needed to be told. It's been told a thousand different times in a thousand different ways but this version is mine, and, um, and I wanted to tell it. And so I would stay late after work, or I would go to the coffee shop for a couple of hours, or I would, um, when the pandemic wasn't going on, I would go to the coffee shop after the kids went to bed and stay until 11.30 or 12 and just write. I would sacrifice time with my family and my wife doing something that I felt was important enough that it was, the price was worth being paid. And that's what I, I think probably I felt was important to me. Even, even if it was just to get it on paper so that it wasn't in my head anymore, it was important enough that I could communicate the importance to Kanya and she understood and, um, and that was good enough. And now looking back on it, do you, do you feel that confirmed that it was important for you to do it? It's not good enough for me to feel like it's important. Um, I do, I do feel like it's important and, and I'm, I feel like it was worth the time, but I want the story to be shared and that's when it'll be important. Because the whole, the whole start of that process of me writing was a question I, I asked Kanya, if you could sit on a bench with anyone, living or dead, for an hour and have a conversation, who would it be? And she said her dad, who died when she was nine. And I thought that's what started the whole process of if this could work, if this was a real thing, what would that look like? If people could talk to their dead loved ones, what would that look like? How could that even come to pass? How would the two people in my story, what's their story? Why can't they talk to each other? And so it's, it was an important enough story for me to want to sacrifice a lot of hours to do it. But it's not, but I'm not going to settle for that importance. Anything I do is important. That's why I do it, right? Me playing Destiny for an hour every night on one week, that's important to me only because I'm investing that time. It's not actually important. But for other people to experience my story that I wrote, that's when it will gain importance beyond just what I attribute to it. And I think that um, 
it would be unfair of me to say, yes, it's important because I wrote it, not in a selfish way, but just because anybody can claim importance of their own stuff. It's when they share it, I think, is whenever it actually gains importance. Which is why you're doing a podcast, right? So other people can listen. Yeah, but part of the reason I'm doing it is so that each individual on it can recognize that they're important. Because we are important, I think, because of the pl- the part that we play in the larger whole. But the larger whole is made up of all the individual parts. Yeah. Um, they're all important. And they all have an effect on every other part. So I think we have we fall into this trap of trying in our minds or in other people's perceptions maybe to diminish our importance by focusing on the importance of the larger part Mm -hmm. as if we didn't have a part in it. Yeah. And I think there's a subtle shift that needs to happen in our minds to where we start understanding that we are significant because even if it wasn't just important in and of itself because it was good enough, right? what you made or if you understand what it will do its impact in 10 years or 50 years or whatever is a result of you choosing to do it at the start that 20 seconds of courage right yeah yeah that makes sense and it coming into being at all is because you so that is that ties into that significance of you individually yeah. Because of all the things you choose to do, we are important. It, it, our importance can be gauged in in some sense by the things that we have done and how they've affected other people. But so much of that we never know, and it still remains true then that it is us that's important mm-hmm. because we do those things because yeah. we have that part to play in the world, and maybe Christians are worse at this than others because a lot of us in western christianity have focused a little too much on the depravity idea Mm -hmm. the genesis 3 and neglecting the genesis 1 um which pronounces us as good yeah and then genesis 3 says yeah but you made a mistake right um they were talking about this in the podcast too there's a there's if you google judges sin cycle there you will see all the pictures the cycle of, of apostasy the, right? yeah right why don't we call it the cycle of redemption hmm. because that's what the story is always about why do we make the story about our failure instead of god's continued pursuit of us we have that tendency as americans i think to focus on what's wrong both with us and with the situation whatever it is and me choosing not to focus on that doesn't mean I am disregarding that that might be a true part of it. Yeah. But if that's what you're focusing on, then that's the primary thing you're going to see. And that's what you're going to find. Like, I love this old proverb. We, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. Mm. If I'm committed to this idea that I'm horrible and bad and messed up and broken of course that's what I'm going to see all the time. Yeah. And what good am I going to do in the world if that's how I see myself already? Right. If what I do good is just incidental, 
It's just, well, I happened to do those good things, but mm-hmm. it wasn't me. It's like, well, if you hadn't been there, would it have happened? Yeah. Um, you know, it's a wonderful life, that movie, that that concept. This regular average Joe, right? Who which is that was his whole character, Jimmy Stewart, right? He mm-hmm. was the everyman. Yeah. He was just the normal guy so often in his roles. And that character feels that to his core and gets shown how different things would be without him. I think I truly am convicted by the thought that if we could see that, we would all be shocked by how much we've affected the world around us. And that effect that we have is a result of our decisions and things that we do, which are a result of what's happened in our lives to us and who we are because of it. And that's kind of what I want to explore more. I want to get better at it. I, I think it's probably clear if it isn't to you and I right now, it'll be clear to the people listening that I'm not really good right now at, at knowing the direction I want to go with this. But that is the underlying heart behind this yeah. is let's talk about everyday people to help to better understand and acknowledge how important that individual in their life is. And I think when we just focus on the machine that they are a cog in and how great it is, and we try to diminish that other thing, we end up diminishing the value of the machine too. Yeah. Yeah, because the pieces aren't important, right? Yeah. If the pieces aren't important, then the machine's not important. Yeah, what's the point of any of it? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Jesus had a lot to say about... um, Each little body part. Yeah. Do you have anything profound to say? Nope. No. That's that's so interesting. You normally have something profound to say in any given situation. Maybe I'm holding it for episode four. Oh, oh, <laughs> he's coming back in this episode. <laughs> Tyrell is back. Oh, you just listened to him last week, and here he is. I do actually have one more question yeah, that, let's I, hear it. that I've never thought of before. Okay. Well, maybe I've thought of this idea before. Right, let's hear it. Do you have any advice to give to people older than you, to the generation mm-hmm. that came before you? Do you have advice? Obviously, we could ask the question, what's the, what you would tell the person who is where you were 20 years ago, you know? Yeah. What about the people older? Not that anyone, any of them yeah. will listen to this. Uh, maybe somebody will stumble upon it. Yeah. Um, to the older generation. Hmm. So whenever I was, I think, I think 13, I loved Dragon Ball Z. And this is just when anime, like Japanese anime was kind of gaining popularity, not, not coming over for the first time, but it was gaining popularity in America. Mm Mm-hmm. I loved Dragon Ball Z, and me and my my friend John Patterson. John, if you find this, you are still my best friend. We would watch Dragon Ball Z every day after school, at his house, and my mom would pick me up after work. And we would watch Dragon Ball Z, and we'd talk about it all the time, and, and we absolutely loved it. So my mom and dad um, asked me one time why, and it was more in the sense of like, not to speak ill of them but why can't you be better than just watching cartoons there's lots of things that you can be spending your time doing right 
And I remember telling them, my mom, we were walking around our front yard, which is something that we would we would do every now and then. I told her, well, what if I want to grow up and be an animator, draw cartoons for a living? And I like cartoons. Is that is that bad? And and she said, um, no, no, it's not. That's not something I had thought of before. And so. I think what I would tell the older generation is um, you don't have the monopoly on what's valuable in, in someone's life. And you don't know how they'll affect the machine or what part of the machine they'll play. And so I think, I think the advice that I would give really is, is be aware of what each person's role is or, or that each person has a role regardless of whether you recognize the role they'll play or not. I like that. That was well said. Thank you. Yeah. So now we can say something stupid and end it. Yeah, like, go... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That would be such a shock (laughs) at the end of this very wholesome episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll avoid Uh, that. Um, I don't know. Maybe I need a tagline to... to Yeah to end things yeah you need like a like a this is listening with joel and i hope you have a good evening listening no, you've been listening with joel yeah and it's got to be you've in that, probably like, been listening better than joel yeah if you've been listening while folding laundry get back to work because i can see you sitting on the couch right now because you just knocked flat with how profound this and if you've been, been folding laundry for three hours <laughs> hey no hate i know it takes that no hate at all <laughs> Oh my gosh! Or if you're driving, get your eyes on the road. Yeah, you gotta come up with a, you gotta come up with a tagline tagline that's your sign off. Like stay classy, San Francisco. Except not not that because we're not in San Francisco. Stay frosty, my friends. Ew. <laughs> I say that. You know why I say that? I actually say that to people like as a farewell. I say stay frosty because for the longest time, right there, there, right. You know the. Most interesting man in the world, Dosaki's commercials. I'm, yep. They end, stay thirsty, my friends. Yep. For whatever reason, and I knew that it wasn't what he was saying, but I said, stay frosty, my friends. And then somebody was like, you know that's not what he says. He says, stay thirsty. I'm like, oh, uh, yeah. He does say yeah, stay I thirsty. I, I did that. know that. But I say, stay frosty. Um, <laughs> and right now it's cold out, so. You know it is. All right, well, that stay frosty. Sense. That can be your stick. Yeah. Stay frosty, my friends. Sail on. Sail on, silver girl. You know, one of my favorite things in Ender's game is whenever um, Ender's friend, which I actually don't remember his name right now, um, he greets him after they've been separated and they had to battle each other, and he greets him with um, Salam. And it's this really intimate moment where his, where his friend, who is, I think, described as a as a Muslim or some some other religious affiliation anyway he greets him with that um and it's essentially him telling him everything's we're still good we're still buddies and i always i thought that's one of the most intimate sweetest interactions that i've read is when he just whispers in his ear salam and i love that i i read reread it every now and then i've got it bookmarked in my enders game but he just says salam that's kind of cool that's great it's not the same as stay frosty to be fair so no it's better but I might offend some atheists if I end every episode with salam, my friends. Yeah. You, know. you don't want to do that. No. But what about 
What if there's? What to if be there's... fair, though, if they weren't offended until now, uh, that's true. Uh, You're gonna offend some heat elementals, some fire elemental, by saying "stay frosty." They're gonna be like, "Oh, great! I can't listen to this guy. He's yeah. gonna, he's a heatist." A heatist. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was thinking in my head. That sounds familiar. Hedonist is the other word I was thinking of. They're very different. Yeah, a hedonist will love this show. No doubt. Yeah. Wow, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, 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 see you later. <laughs> <laughs>